Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 58 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor, show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame. I am one half of Through the Years. Soon you'll be hearing the voice of Matt Feuerstein, the other half of Through the Years. But I have to admit, folks, I just lied to you because, as regular listeners might know, occasionally we are not each half of Through the Years. Occasionally we bring ourselves down and reduce ourselves to one third of Through the Years per episode. We have a guest. And uh, this time we have a first time guest on the show. This is one of the true, I would describe them as workhorses of wrestling podcasts. They do have done so many shows. They are uh, especially just on our pro wrestling only podcast network, which we are on. Of course, we also now have our own podcast feed uh, through the years. Just search for that in your favorite podcast feed if you want just a feed with us. But there are so many great shows. This man has on the pro wrestling only podcast network. This man has done many of them, be it. The Pro Wrestling Super Show, which has a bunch of different guests and a bunch of different subjects, and Matt has been on a guest on that show multiple times, be it Who's Next, the show about uh, going through Bill Goldberg's career from the start, which I've been a guest on, but don't let that sour you on that show. It's a very good show. Whether it's uh, the now over, all long over, but good All Japan Excite series, where this man reviewed uh, the classic days of All Japan Pro Wrestling, my favorite federation with uh, Parv. Or, of course, last but certainly not least, Shimmer Herstory, where he, along with Stacy, review uh, Shimmer, you know, another indie that starts up in the year we're covering lately, and it goes through the history of that company, year by, I mean, show by show from the beginning. So, with all that said, it's exhausting just to list the shows he's hosted. Finally, he's back on the other side of the mic. Uh, Stephen Graham, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, all of those accolades. I like completely quit podcasting this year. So uh, workhouse is not really the uh, the best term. Um, I did bring back Shimmer uh, because I felt uh, it, it's kind of important to talk about women's wrestling. And Shimmer is a company that should get a lot more talk about. Um, so I did come back for that. But outside of that, I'm, I'm done podcasting. You won't hear me anywhere else unless uh, Trevor and Matt ask me to come on, and then I'll be here. But but really, you're going to change your mind like real soon, right? No, I'm done. Huh. Darn. Yeah. Boo! Well... Yeah, I you're, mean, look, you're just gonna have to keep coming back to this. That's that's the only that's the only thing we can do. Well, luckily, yeah. there's like a hundred more Shimmer episodes we can do, um, so that should take a, a bit of time. I do like that. This I think that proves that you're a workhorse in terms of podcasting. When you consider your retirement from podcasting to be, I'm still doing one podcast and will be a guest <laughs> on other people if they have to. <laughs> that, 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 that's you retiring. So I, I think that's more than most. Where one podcast is like barely all Matt and I can manage, and you're like, well, I've cut it to one, so I'm basically out of the game. Yeah, man. This is like we like like we we like have this like regular podcast that we don't have any plans of quitting, but you know we just. Can't even be bothered to oh, I, get on I a schedule. Podcast that most people have even listened to, so it, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing about all your shows is they're still, you know, they're not time sensitive. So just like our show, you know, if you go look through the uh, the pro wrestling only podcast feed, like Steven's done a lot of great shows on a lot of subjects. You know, he even did one of those one of those crazy things all those guys were doing back in the day where they did the the hundred best wrestlers of all time and they just so many people did marathon podcasts going over that and like I I couldn't even make a list of a hundred. I'd be I I would find that too difficult. And you did the podcast, so there's so much good Stephen Graham 
podcast content to listen to, even if he never does another second of audio, which I guarantee you he will not. He will be doing more in the next few minutes. You'll hear him again. <laughs> in the next few uh, seconds. way too much praise. Let's see right there. See, a few seconds it took that he did it. it said something. But um, – <laughs> I was gonna say. I was just gonna say, Stephen. If you're really not gonna do any new podcasts, then whenever you come up with one of your new like wacky podcast gimmick ideas, I'll, I'll you gotta, send it to you. Yes, you exactly, exactly. So um, to let you know, to just to ease you in, because I saw that you were saying you were nervous because you hadn't been a guest in a long time. We're gonna start with a section that we usually don't have on the show, mainly because we don't need to. But we actually had Matt since the last episode a few corrections, so I will go into them. Ooh. Um. First correction is from super listener Michael Laney, who always has good information for us. He always spots the stuff we miss or has little details from being there live. And uh, about Michael Laney, uh, I watched part of this show with him in prep for this show. So see, uh, he's even helping our guests. That is why he is the true designated super listener of through the years. Um, So last episode, Matt, we were talking about how. We read this story a couple different point during a couple different points in Ring of Honor history about how they kept saying, "Oh, we're going to record empty arena matches," and I said, "Oh, they never did that." And it turns out they did. As Michael Laney wrote to us on Twitter, he said, "Ring of Honor did film and release at least one empty arena match. Austin Aries versus Samoa Joe was taped on March 9th, two thousand five, and is included on the Do or Die Four DVD." So I've actually. Don't know if I knew that or forgot or whatever, but I'm pretty sure I've never seen that match. And then chime in with another super listener of the show, um, John Filipavich, and he wrote on Twitter, there was supposed to be another, but it's probably something they talk about in, the, in this episode. John, you assume too much of us. Of course, we did not talk about that. We were not aware of that. Um, but I watched Matt, the main event with John as well. So, see, um, <laughs> God damn, you, you are... You head out to Daniel, who the other person I watched it with, who's uh, who doesn't get any credit from you guys. You guys are slowly – you're just slowly taking over the show. By the end, you're going to be the host. I'm not even going to be – that's why you've been canceling podcasts, haven't you? Because you know this is about to be your second regular son of a bitch. But I, 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 have, to to, I have to admit – I have to admit – I have to admit it's a good plan. Um, but anyway, Matt um, – have you ever? I mean, obviously, you must have at least forgotten about this too. But I, I, you probably haven't seen that either. Austin Aries versus Samoa Joe in an empty arena match. No, but now that it, now when it came up, it did ring a bell. I, but it definitely was not something that was on my mind or that I would have thought of ever on my own. Yeah, I'll have to see one day if I can dig that up somewhere. I'll see if I can find through the internet dark web if we uh. If we could find that first, just out of curiosity, because obviously the next show will be covering the second Austin Aries versus Samoa Joe match, where that was one with a crowd. But yeah, that's that's an interesting little thing. But we have another correction. On the last episode, Matt, I read a story where they were talking about how CM Punk was about – they were taking applications for the second Ring of Honor class at the Ring of Honor Wrestling School. Well, I was wrong about that too because uh, Shane Hagedorn, who was, of course, a student from the first Ring of Honor class, who was a, uh, a cameraman for many of these shows, a wrestler and a co-host of the An Honorable Mention podcast that we reference often, he wrote and said um, – so the tryouts you referred to are actually the third class of punks that that never happened. Rhett Titus would have been in that class. Uh, Shane continued. He said, but punk stalled on a start date because of his WWE um, signing process starting. He says, actually, the second class started around Joe versus Punk 2. So actually, punk never 
Ulrey was trending a second class. He never did a third class. And in fact, I believe this is one of the first on-camera appearances, this show that we're going to cover tonight, of Bobby Dempsey, who must have been in that second um, Ring of Honor class. You see him like in the background during like a pull-apart or something. So uh, again, uh, the thing I always mention on this show, this is a not this is a show that is not afraid to be wrong. If you have any corrections, Always um, through the years at gmail.com, T-H-R-O-H for through, or Twitter at Trevor Dame, at Mayor MGF. You know, if you have a correction, don't be shy. We are more than happy to uh, correct anything we've gotten wrong. Um, we only have one little bit of news to get to between the shows because there was only like a week between the last show and this show. Actually, there's one little tidbit, too, for historical purposes. This is probably something... Only I care about, but this is the kind of nerdy thing I geek uh, I geek out about. It's like a little signpost for where Ring of Honor was, where, for those who don't have never read the Wrestling Observer newsletter, um, Dave always gave certain promotions their own regular sections every week in the newsletter, and then any promotion that was not deemed big enough would just gotten to put into the here and there section. And this, um, the March 7th issue of The Observer, which I was reading for... Um, just to make sure, even though that happens like a week or two after the show, um, it was technically the first, it was the first Wrestling Observer issue in history where Ring of Honor finally graduated from the here and there section to getting its own regular Ring of Honor section. So a little, a little sign that the company was growing, at least in some people's eyes, that it was deemed worthy of being on the same level as, you know, TNA, WWE, all those promotions. So, so, up, so, of- so up until now, up until everything we've reviewed so far, ROH has just been here and there. Yes. Now it is that now Ring of Honor is the specific place, Matt. It is no longer here or there. It's a real it's a real um, boy. It is now everywhere. But, um, well they've just had their third birthday, they've graduated. Yeah, right. Exactly. They're no longer a, now they're a toddler, they're no longer a baby. But uh, L O L O L, I'll pretend you said three. Oh god. Um so what, the one little bit of news that happened is a very minor piece, but I thought there were some interesting comments about it. From the Pro Wrestling Torch, I'll just read this. Chris, the Masterpiece Masters, defeated Ring of Honor peer champion John Walters on Raw on Monday. Walters was not introduced, and his name was not mentioned by announcers, which indicates an agreement was made to not draw attention to him, since it hardly benefits Ring of Honor to have one of its champions lose decisively and quickly to a newcomer who is over in WWE. Um, Wade Keller then added... I'm disappointed in WWE putting John Walters on TV in a squash loss to Chris Masters on Raw on Monday. Walters, who has worked a number of WWE dark matches and TV matches before, has never been squashed like that. Walters is the Ring of Honor pure champion. Vince McMahon talked on the ECW DVD about, quote, looking out for the little guys, unquote. WWE didn't have to protect the, didn't have to protect the integrity of Ring of Honor's title, but it would have been a nice gesture. Anyone could have lost to Masters in a minute. WWE didn't learn anything about Walters from that squash. It's now going to be difficult for fans to look at Walters the same way now that he's lost to a green slug in a minute. Sapolsky, for the record, tells the torch, quote, no, not at all, unquote, when asked if he thought Walters squashed defeat on Raw hurt Ring of Honor in any way. Says one top Ring of Honor wrestler regarding John Walters doing a job on Raw, quote, when I watched it, I said good for John to get on TV and get a payday. In the grand scheme of things, I don't think it tarnishes Ring of Honor too badly. By no means does it do Ring of Honor any good. The booking agent probably had no idea what Ring of Honor is, unquote. The wrestler says Sapolsky is in a tough spot politically. 
He always tells us he wants to see us move on to WWE. He never stands in the way of any opportunities we might have. But it's got to be tough to watch what he saw on Monday. Um, guys, <laughs> I, I think I think making too much. Whitiest little speech there I've ever heard. That was pathetic. I, I, got, I got to say, you cut, you cut, you got, This is like the, one of the things I actually love about Wade. He's just like the innocence. Like he's been watching. He, he by this point he had been having a newsletter for almost twenty years. Like. I guess it would be like 18 years at this point. And he's still like, how? I mean, that's disappointing that WWE would do that. I mean, who, who would think that they would take a guy who's on a promotion that they don't even think about and squash him to a guy that they're trying to push? Remember when they brought Taz, the ECW champion, on TV to get squashed by Triple H? Like, come on. Yeah. Like, it's like John Walters. He got a payday. Good for him. The idea that Vince McMahon would even know, like, what the Ring of Honor pure title would be at this point, <laughs> let, 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 let alone have a, like, we've got to destroy this company. And it starts with the Ring of Honor pure title. Um, if you don't look up, uh, if you don't follow Vince McMahon Googling on Twitter, it, it's a great follow and hilarious. Yeah, it, it, so yeah, it's just one of those weird things. And we'll, you know, there's another example of that later. It, it's maybe not as, as egregious as this, but, um, you know, when Joe, Samoa Joe and Kento Kobashi wrestle, before it starts, like, before the match happens, I think Dave Meltzer's like, you know, it's not going to be good if they have, if Kento Kobashi goes over Joe. Like, Joe's their star, you know. And, it's, it, you know, I, I think sometimes journalists in this era of Ring of Honor kind of, um, they they underestimated the crowd of, of that Ring of Honor attracted and their ability to kind of realize that like the lay of the wrestling land like they weren't going to be like oh this guy lost a tryout match in WWE well we can't take them seriously anymore like Ring of Honor fans I think by and large were not taking things like that you know I mean this was already 2005 it wasn't 1985 I yeah I think people I think people are just are kind of stuck in an old school mindset. I, I mean, I assume they're actually, they probably a lot of them still think like that to a degree, but no, it didn't matter at all. Like it's like John Walters could have literally gotten squashed on raw every single week for a year. And if he was presented well in ROH and had good matches, it wouldn't really have mattered. I mean, maybe it would have mattered if it, after a year, they probably would have made like probably would have part, been part of the gimmick, but you know what I'm saying? Yes. I, I, um, uh, just, uh, just one, um, one last thing about that. Actually, you know, never mind. Uh, it was not worth saying. <laughs> oh, okay, <Yeah. laughs> okay. Matt, everything you, everything that comes out of your lips is just like a golden fleece for me. Uh, that's, li- that's, saying, that's, but- that's literally true, though. I have golden fleeces regurgitating out of me all the time, and it's <laughs> painful. But um, something that – well, we'll see how painful it was. I don't think it was, but we'll find out what we all thought when we cover today's show, which is the Ring of Honor 3rd Anniversary Celebration Part 2. It took place February 25th, 2005 at the Montgomery Count Fair, County Fairgrounds in Dayton, Ohio, from a reported crowd of 600 fans. Um, this was the first half of a double shot. It was the second of three 3rd Anniversary Celebration shows, and – We'll probably reference it multiple times during the show, but I just have to say, and not to exclude you, Stephen, but I'm going to ask Matt just because he's watched every Ring of Honor show, rewatched every Ring of Honor show up to this point with me. Matt, I think this might be, in terms of just crowd reactions, the best crowd Ring of Honor's had up to this point. It's definitely was the most consistent and like clearly like the one that was there to have the most fun. Like they they didn't seem like they there was like there was no vibe of negativity really and like no trying to shit on anybody. Um, you know, I would say there have been matches, individual matches that have gotten bigger reactions than anything on 
this show. But as far as like start to finish, just being there for everything and just having a good time, yeah, I think yeah, I'd say yes. This is probably the best crowd they've ever had. Yeah, and it's funny because you know a couple, you know, one of the last Ohio show Dayton shows, you know, Gabe was outright saying like we got to draw more, you know, or we're this will be the last show in Dayton, and it was you know they were drawing below five hundred. Now I think it's probably their best crowd. Not that's that much bigger, but. In Ring of Honor terms at this point, the difference between, you know, like 400 and 600 was significant, and it's it's a really good crowd. So I um, give part of the credit for the crowd being so well. is So I, I was trying to watch, around, uh, watch along with you guys every show, but Ring of Honor shows are, are fucking exhausting. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're just – there's so much happening so quickly, and every match is not – Obviously, not every match, but so many matches are like trying to stand out, and it, it's just not an easy thing to watch. And so I was kind of actually fearing going on this show uh, because I thought it would be really a lot of effort to watch the show. I might have to do it in two or three sittings. Uh, but this one was spaced out and booked in a much better way. It was shorter. Uh, it had a lot of varieties of matches, and it, it didn't overstay its welcome. So. Part of the crowd being so good and hot the whole show might just be that the booking was more conducive to that. Matt and I just covered a four a four plus hour ring of honor show. So like this show coming right after it was like anything would have felt like a breeze to me. After oh yeah, season, so like, this oh. show this show really was one of the breeziest shows we've ever done. Honestly though, <laughs> yeah. So um, we can op- we open the show with a uh, homicide and Julius smokes backstage. Homicide says short and serious. He's up. on Brian Danielson in their best of five series. And tonight he takes on Danielson's homeboy, Puma. Uh, Homicide says tonight he'll debut a spectacular submission and he wants Danielson to watch as he's dedicating the move right to Danielson personally. Uh, Smokes then says sanitation style. Sweep him, baby. Uh, Gabe says cut. As usual, we get the usual. Ooh, the cameras stopped rolling, but not really. Ring of Honor segment. Because Allison Danger walks in. Uh, she's now talking to a picture of Christopher Daniels. They're really selling that she's gone nuts. Uh, she's talking to the picture and saying that she, she's telling the picture that she promised Christopher a new prophecy. And now she has homicide and Julia smokes. Uh, homicide makes a gesture. He obviously thinks she's crazy. Smokes calls her a bimbo and tells her that she needs to slow down. He points out that she made them a lot of promises recently about, you know, the tag team situation and that the Rottweilers ended up losing the tag belts. Smokes then just, just gets angry. He starts screaming, get over and over again. And she runs away in terror. So opening segment to establish uh, poor Allison Danger's new gimmick, which is just, she's crazier than she was before. But given all the misogyny we've seen in ROH, bimbo is like such old school misogyny. It's yeah, you, know, you don't even hear that word anymore. Might as well just call her toots. <laughs> This was a mind trip to watch, man. Um, after watching so much Shimmer, so so you have the misogyny, which doesn't exist there. You have this weird – the weird thing you mentioned about how they kind of pretend that they keep recording even though they pretend the interview is over. Yeah. Which is like so WWE, like not knowing the cameras are there, BS. Uh, oh, but they, they, do, they, do, have, they do that constantly, man. It's so annoying. I know. It's so <laughs> weird. And then you have uh, Allison Danger, who in Shimmer is like this character who loses her shit if someone even like pulls the tights or like puts or cheats in any way, uh, being like this weird uh, like uh, heel. 
it, it, this was uh, kind of mind-boggling for where I'm at in my viewing lately. So <laughs> it, it was something. And uh, that brings us to the opening match. The Air Devils of Fast Eddie and Matt Seidel defeated the Ring Crew Express of Dunham Marcos in 8 minutes, 42 seconds, when Eddie pinned Marcos after hitting the Moonsault Fallaway Slam. So you might be wondering... I've never heard of the Air Devils before, and there's a good reason. They're a tag team that lasted exactly one match, this match. And what happened was, this was originally supposed to be Matt Seidel and, um, I mean, no, Matt Seidel's always in it. Matt Seidel and Joey Matthews and not uh, Fast Eddie. And, in fact, the name com- came from Ring of Honor actually had on their message board. They said, you know, we're going to have a new tag team. It's going to be these two guys. Come up with a name. We'll choose the best name from the message board. And, um PW Insider wrote at the time, Ring of Honor originally planned for Joey Matthews to join Prince Nana's embassy during last night's Dayton, Ohio event. When Matthews was signed to a WWE developmental deal, the role in the angle was then given to Fast Eddie, who Booker Gabe Sapolsky has become increasingly high on while working with him in Florida's full impact pro company. So apparently not only was this supposed to be uh, this was not just a tag. This was supposed to be a tag match for uh, the Air Devils with Joey Matt Mercury and um, or Joey Matthews and uh, Matt Seidel, but it's actually supposed to end with the exact same angle that you'll see ends this match where um, Joey Matthews was supposed to be uh, in the embassy. So, Matt, what would you think about the match? And can you uh, – I mean, I guess it wouldn't have been that different, but Joey Matthews in the embassy, that would have definitely – I think he made the right decision knowing that he got a nice run with Eminem out of it. But Yeah, well, I mean, I think it would have been pretty different. I mean, if you remember how this goes, Fast Eddie doesn't do that much once he joins the embassy. I mean, not that he's done much in a long time in ROH lately as a, as a face, but he's really, he's really barely used more in the embassy than he was before. You know, he has a few matches, a few spot fests, but, you know, by the summertime, he's pretty much done. And you know they transitioned more to Alex Shelley as being the embassy guy, and I think Joey Matthews, if he had stuck around, he would have been much a much more of a player. You know, he was uh, more established. Um, you know, he was used in more um, versatile roles and stuff. So, um, anyway, yeah. Um, also, th- it, it's funny that you say that the um, that ga- that the ROH message board they suggested the name, but then the the company picked the best one. It wasn't just like a straight vote because. Gabe mocked the name Air Devils a lot during on commentary here. He was like, "Like that's the best you come up with." The, the the fans like to criticize the booking all the time, but come on, Air Devils! Like, they, so did if he picked it, that that makes it a lot cheaper. If that's if that's the case, um, but also other funny announcing things. Um, Gabe or Jimmy Bauer says he's hungover from all the partying during the week, and I'm just thinking, like, man, just there was just like, could you just imagine ROH the offices? They're just like a whole week of partying. Could you just <laughs> imagine how wild those parties were? They were probably like, I don't know, watching lots of wrestling tapes. I don't know what they were doing in the <laughs> ROH party for a week. But um, yeah, as far as the match, um, uh, there was some there was some sloppiness here. I guess there were some okay spots too. Um, but um, the the beginning was pretty sloppy. I I couldn't tell if that was the point though. Like there was one time where um, Seidel like accidentally hit Fast Eddie, and I couldn't tell if that was like um, I couldn't tell if that was like on purpose to build up to the uh, to the the turn, or if that was just an off moment. It was like 
Marcos was on Eddie's shoulder, and then Eddie moved him into like a wheelbarrow position, and Seidel was supposed to come off the top with a leg drop, but he leg dropped like Eddie by mistake. It was it was really ugly. Um, do you think that was on purpose? What do you think? I, I think it, I think that was an accident because one, it just kind of pick you fucked up, chance. So if it was, I, I really don't think that was what it was meant to be, and also. Um, Eddie actually, like, Vegas is half blind. Yeah, so of course, it's going to mess up a move. That's well, right. Also, Eddie, if if you watch the clip, he he rotates like he he. It starts where like um he's holding the guy up, so he's kind of facing Seidel or close to facing him, and then as like Seidel's jumping, Fesse decides to like rotate his body so his back is to Seidel, and I think basically, I I think he just. Didn't know how the move was supposed to be done, maybe, and it put himself in the position where, you know, all of a sudden he's in the spot where Seidel thought, you know, the Ring Crew Express was going to be, and boom, you get that. I do think the one thing he did to kind of tease the the heel turn he would be doing afterwards is there is that one point in the match where Seidel does a big dive to the floor, and then everyone's chanting for Eddie to do to do a dive, and then Eddie, like, kind of teases it, and then it's like, no, I'm not doing a dive, and I think that's the point where you go, well, that. You see, he's supposed to be a face. Like, that's a pretty shit move to, like, disappoint the fans. And then, of course, you see, we'll get into it minutes after the match. Oh, it makes sense. Oh, he's, he's a bad guy. Yeah, that's true. Um, that, that, that makes sense. Um, it, the one thing I'll say is, you know, after Dunn and Marcos won their big uh, scramble cage match the week before, like, they are looking more like a, you know, like a, um, a competent team. Here, like they, you know, they make doing big moves. Um, Dunn hits almost like a cutthroat driver style head droppy thing. They do like the uh, the the demolition style elbow over the knee, um, and of course they end up winning the match. Um, but um, I mean, they lose they lose the match, but um, but they uh, they don't end up winning the match is what I meant to say. But they um, but they get some good moves here. Um, on the other hand. Should they have won the match is something that I was wondering, considering that they just won a big match last week and the team that they lost to ended up breaking up almost immediately. And doesn't it make more sense to break up right after your team loses than right after your team wins? And Seidel really wasn't being used very much at this point in time in ROH. I don't know. I um, The match itself was okay, I guess, um, besides the sloppiness. But I don't know. The booking was like, hmm, I'm not sure. Steven, what did you think about the match? Um, so, so I, I luckily I didn't get to hear too much of Gabe on commentary because, like, he's so inauthentic. It just bothers me, like, everything he says. So, luckily I was talking to people so I could just focus on the match and not have to hear him. So, yeah, any, any comments you say, um, uh, they're, they're fun to hear in retrospect. But it, it was a good, solid tag opener. I, I agree with Matt, the... You know the Ring Crew Express winning the main event of the last show, and then losing to a team that is on their first tag match and are going to break up immediately is a little puzzling. Um, but Ring Crew Express, you know, they're they're really over. They're really like kind of your perfect underdog babyface, white meat babyfaces, and so it's fun to see here in the Ring of Honor uh, thing because Ring of Honor doesn't have as much variety sometimes so it's good to have people in their certain roles uh but this match was a little weird where like a fucking gory bomb and a burning hammer by the rinker express were both treated like as nothing spots um <laughs> that was a little puzzling uh but I, I think the whole match was basically about getting 
over the angle at the end. And I think the match was kind of an afterthought, it seemed. Yeah, uh, you guys covered uh, most of a lot of my thoughts, but I thought this match was decent. It, it, um, the Ring Crew Express, they're one of the two acts I would put them in the same section with uh, Jimmy Jacobs during the Huss years, which is right now, as two of the acts of Ring of Honor that are always more over than their push. Like, usually in Ring of Honor, guys, you know, if they're over, they get pushed. And these guys, they always get a, a pretty good reaction. Some might say, well, it's they're just kind of this niche thing, and maybe they are. In fact, Matt, you were saying that this match was sloppy to start. I, I don't think it was intentional. I, I, I kind of think you kind of saw me. Like, I remember... When they came out and they got this big reaction, I thought, man, the Ring of Crew Express should have gotten, you know, a bigger push than the, than they did in Ring of Honor. And then in the opening minute or two, when I watched them kind of do some sloppy stuff with uh, Fast Eddie, I was like, well, maybe they were in the right spot for them. I, I'm, I'm not sure. And um, but overall, like you said, man, I thought they they really uncorked some a couple big moves that you usually don't see from them. And the, I, it was all action. Even if there was a bit of sloppiness, including that one big botch, uh, I agree about the booking. I feel like it almost felt like, well, they don't need the win. I, sometimes in the Ring of Honor booking, there's a bit too much of this guy got a win so they can afford to lose, and this guy lost so now he has to win kind of back and forth because you can almost see the gears turning in Gabe's head of like, well, they just lost. I mean, they just won a huge match. They can afford to do a job here, and they've got the Carnage Crew feud coming up in the future because Carnage Crew is going to come back pissed that the Ring Crew Express beat them and knocked them out for 90 days, which was the step of the, the last match. Um couple little commentary notes, mainly the one thing you mentioned, Matt, which is that Gabe uses this match to kind of shit on the, the Ring of Honor fans like they think they know booking, but they can't with a bad name for a tag team, which I was like, well, those are kind of different things. But then I thought it was funny because, like you said, Matt, he um Gabe really shits on the name. But then he says later on when um Fast which we'll get to in a second, he uh, turns after the match. Gabe says something like, you know the fans spent all this time coming up with this name for his team. He's like, this is disgusting. I guess this meant that name meant nothing to Eddie. I was like, dude, it meant nothing to you a few minutes ago either. You were, you were shitting on it. And then also Matt, we were talking the last show about how we were, we were thinking maybe we're looking too much into this, but maybe there were signs that Gabe was starting to get fed up with Mark Nolte. There's a point in this match where um, Nolte out of nowhere goes, when I guess guys are cheating, he's like, no one wants to do anything in the right right way anymore. He says, no one. He says, does anyone in sports want to do things the right way now? He goes, does anyone actually want to go into a wrestling match or on a baseball field? He just brings that out of nowhere and prove it. Or are they going to do it with? Are they going to do it without taking shortcuts? And Gabe just mumbles, uh, it's wrestling, and just moves on. Like, yeah, just like, yeah, it's it's, it's funny because not like baseball doesn't cheat. Like I think we've proven that baseball players cheat more than fucking wrestlers, and and he and he mentions that a lot in uh in uh in his commentary. Uh, Mark Nolte does because he brings up the whole baseball. Actually, I don't remember what match it is where he brings up the whole baseball steroid thing, um, like the hearings, the congressional hearings, and I'm like, well, this was 19, this was 2005. I can definitely tell you that based on the commentary. It really puts it in a moment in time. But yeah, no, Gabe, when when Nolte was like. Yeah, talking about sports. Like, anybody in sports going to do the right thing? And Gabe, yeah, you could tell that Gabe would not have said it, responded that way if it had been like five months earlier. He, at this point, he's just, he's just very fed up with Nolte being like an old school <laughs> sportscaster. And he's just like, uh, this is wrestling. What are you talking about? And so 
after the match, all four men shake hands. Uh, Denim Marcus leave, and as Seidel poses for the crowd, Fast Eddie jumps him from behind and beats him down, drawing some boos. Uh, Eddie, Eddie finishes by laying out Seidel with a sit-out powerbomb, at which point the embassy's music hits and Prince Nana and Jimmy Rave come out. Uh, Eddie keeps cheap-shotting Seidel as Nana grabs the mic. Nana gets his usual shut-the-fuck-up loud chat from the crowd, and Rave tries to cover Nana's ears so he can't hear it. Nana then calls the crowd pieces of white trash and says they're the same trash he sees in CM Punk, so already setting up that feud. Nana says um, they're also the same pieces of trash he wipes his butt with, and Nana says he He wipes his butt with pieces of trash? (laughs) That's like the old uh, Happy Gilmore line, you know, where you you eat pieces of shit for breakfast, but... um, Nana says he came out to do a due diligence and to show off that he's the highest earning pro wrestling manager in the business right now. Uh, when Nana puts over Jimmy Rave, the crowd starts chanting AJ Styles big. They really want to see AJ tonight. Uh, Nana says AJ is messing with the wrong faction. And he says their new member is the greatest junior heavyweight in the business, Fast Eddie. <laughs> he, he says John Walters is on vacation in Ghana. And he introduces Rave as the inventor of the Styles Clash, although Nana then immediately says Rave Clash will I think sometimes Nana kind of steps over his points. Uh, Jimmy then hits the rave clash on Seidel. The crowd chants, we want AJ as we cut away. So, yes, the the tag team debuts, wins the match, immediately breaks up, and Fast Eddie is your new member of the embassy. I, 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 first of all, yes, Nana does step on his points, but that's kind of one of the th- reasons that we love him. Um, but the other thing is, I find it funny is that it's, they seem to indicate that any time an embassy member goes on vacation, it's always to Ghana. <laughs> well, oh, it's the best, Matt. You get what, you get rubbed down with lotions and oils. <laughs> and, so, and, and, and soap. He loves talking about that soap. Yeah, and Nana also always telling guys, you know, to run his bathroom. Like, Nana lives a very sensual life. He, yeah. he likes he likes the physical touch, Matt. You know, very big in baths, very big onto massages with oils. He, uh, he does, but, it's, but it almost feels like, you know, like how some people, like, when, like, like they'll get, like, a timeshare, and so when they go on vacation, it's always to the same place. It's like, so for them, they, they have, like, a timeshare in Ghana. <laughs> it's like, Jimmy gets it next week. <laughs> uh, Oman and Tortuga, they have to split it. Um so next we're backstage with the new tag champs, Moth and Whitmer. They're very happy still to be tag champs. Moth says they're going to stay champs for a very long time. Uh, got some bad news for you, Moth. They're going to be the longest reigning Ring of Honor tag champs to ever live, he says. Moth then laughs and says they'll do anything to keep the titles. But Moth Ma- yeah, M- has gotten a little bit better at doing the short promos, at least. You know, like if, if you remember like back in like 2003 when he would do these endless, insane rambling promos, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's better at being uh, short and to the point. So I'll give him that. But no, they, do, they are not the longest running <laughs> ROH tag champs ever. Sorry. But the <laughs> promo did really set up the story of the tag match very well. Yeah. Like, but- we should get to it, but like that, that promo perfectly encapsulates the story of the match uh, and lays it out. Uh, so good foreshadowing by uh, uh, Don. I'll be interesting, interested to hear that. But first, we have to get to uh, the second match on the card. Homicide with Julius Smokes defeated Puma via submission in 10 minutes when he made Puma tap out to the cattle mutilation. So that was his secret submission for brand new submission for Brian Danielson to watch, rubbing it in his face. Um <clears throat> 
Puma is uh, actually TJ Perkins under a mask, and he was uh, training at the New Japan LA Dojo at this time with guys like Danielson. So the story of this match was kind of, you know, to advance the the Danielson homicide feud. Homicide's taking out, you know, someone that Danielson works with. Um, Steven, this this was Puma's debut, or TJ Perkins' debut in Ring of Honor on a main card. He had previously done a do-or-die match on a pre-show, but in terms of a main release, and certainly that's what we cover on this show, um, sorry, pardon me, uh, the main things, this is the, the his debut on a main card. Uh, Steven, what'd you think about this? Uh, I, I think Gabe doesn't know what a riot is. Uh, because Smokes is just insulting the crowd, and he's like, he's revoking a riot. Yeah, we've we've established this. <laughs> he definitely so definitely does not know. <laughs> uh, but really, I took almost no notes on this match. It was kind of just there, I guess, in a way to show that Homicide can technical wrestle, and to uh, to further the the brian danielson's story and doing his move but um i thought it was just kind of there and it, it didn't really pique my interest in any way and um they did some they did a couple of neat little the b spots and stuff but um i thought this was a pretty nothing match um and, and i wasn't really that into it so i don't know what you guys have to say about it i i completely agree um I thought this was pretty disappointing because I think TJ Perkins, whatever you think about him, he's a very talented wrestler, homicide, great wrestler. And this was average at best. I, I felt like this was an example of kind of the negative side of Julius Smokes. Julius Smokes is a great personality. He can, he can be a great manager, but in this, in this match for like large portions of it, he completely steals the audience's attention. Like he is jabbering with the fans off camera. There's a one point where you can literally see the entire crowd is looking off camera while the match is happening because they're just watching what Smokes does. They're laughing. They're entertained by what he's doing, but there's actually one spot. I forget when in the match, but I think like homicide has Perkins in a submission or, or something. And, um, you know, Smokes is doing something off camera. You can hear the entire crowd looking in that direction and laughing and all that stuff. And so Homicide, when that move is over, he literally stands up and walks and looks over to what where Smokes is just to see what's going on. And he's, like, pissed. Like, you can tell he's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, no one's reacting to what we're doing. And... You know, that's the bad side with having an, an announce uh, a manager like Smoke sometimes that is just on where they could steal focus. But that being said, this wasn't a match that was going to do well, even if Smokes wasn't um, distracting. It was just a lot of kind of very low intensity, basic, like mat work. Occasionally they would pick things up and then the crowd would get into it, but then they would slow it back down again. There were a couple cool things. Um, Homicide hit a big double underhook superplex, which is a really cool move. And, you know, the end is a nice, cute little thing to be like, oh, Homicide beats a guy Danielson trains with, with Danielson's own finisher. But, um, yeah, it just certainly not a match that was going to show off Puma or really get you excited to see him again. And kind of a, just a strangely disappointing match from Homicide. Uh, Matt, what did you think? Uh, I pretty much agree with both of you. Maybe I liked it slightly more than both of you, um, but not much. I thought it was, it, I thought it was fine. I just didn't think it amounted to anything. Like, it didn't, like, nothing really, 
came of it. Like, first of all, it was you know it was good to see Puma, everyone's favorite woke king, in uh, in ROH. <laughs> that was that was sarcasm. Um, but um, I laughed, but I was on mute. So. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, but I, I agree with you about Smokes. It he really distracted the entire crowd, and I can't imagine that like why he would do that it doesn't make any sense but there was one line that he had that i thought was legitimately funny because a fan yelled to him you smoke crack oh yeah and he yells with your mama which i think (laughs) is probably about as good of a comeback as you can make to that uh that line so way to go julia smokes um um but puma uh, i mean there was just not much to the to the match as far as like there was like there was a bit of a chop battle um, and Puma did this like really weird sunset flip where his head is like in this very weird position where he's like, his head is like tucked like down. I, I can't even explain it, but like they went with it anyway. I don't know. But yeah, other than that, not much to the match. I, I, I will say I like that Homicide more than any other of the quote top guys will do these low card matches with, uh, with guys that. You know, you might not think like he did it with Nigel McGuinness, he did it with Josh Daniels, he did it with Puma. I um, this was obviously the the worst of them, but it's cool that he does that because it's not like you see Samoa Joe or even Danielson or or real or Punk doing like second match on the card with some random up and comer. Um, but Homicide will do it, and he's pretty happy to do it. So uh, that that's commendable at least. But the mat this particular match was really not worth watching. Yeah, and that's a good point. Like he's he's a very um I would say generous wrestler usually in his match layouts even like when he does I mean that's why this match kind of stood out is just that Homicide's usually really good at um letting guys kind of a new guy shine even in a loss against him. And I don't necessarily think this was all Homicide's fault. I just think it for whatever reason it didn't work and the crowd was distracted, but um after the match Homicide refuses to break the cat of mutilation for a while. Smokes gets on the mic and he gets his own uh, shut the fuck up chant. Homicide reapplies the hole that Smokes calls out. Danielson saying that they destroyed him in New Jersey and they destroyed him in Boston. And now they've destroyed a student. Danielson runs to the ring and the second Ring of Honor class students hold them back, including Bobby Dempsey, which I think is the first time we see him as a student, I think. Gabe, we see he comes out and he holds them back as well. Uh, Smokes then calls Danielson a cocksucker, which for some reason, the idea of calling Brian Danielson a cocksucker, I don't know, maybe because Brian Danielson seems like such a nice, innocent guy. It just made me blurt laugh when I heard that, and that's what we cut away on. And I guess the other thing we should mention about the the last match is during it, um, Gabe says that Homicide and Brian Danielson have both been told that if they touch each other tonight, they'll both be fined their night's pay, which will come into things later and I guess explains partly why everyone was just trying to hold Danielson back. So This was so bizarre because Danielson tries to come out to save his friend from a two-on-one beatdown, and the Ring of Honor locker room says, no, you can't go out there and save your friend. They are allowed to beat him up as much as possible. They, they're much, it was they're, very they're, bizarre. They're much more concerned with Brian Danielson's money than they are with the well-being of Puma. <laughs> of Puma. Well, maybe Puma was backstage pissing everyone off with his fucking yes. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, it's possible. You wouldn't just, just he just wouldn't stop having bad basketball takes and people just were getting annoyed. But um, 
We join then the debuting James Gibson, who is backstage with Spanky. Gibson says tonight is a big opportunity for them. There's no writers. There's no coaches. There's no one to influence or tell them what to do. Spanky says they've been pals for years. He has the utmost respect for Gibson. And Spanky is really excited to wrestle James tonight without people backstage telling them the 15 things they can't do. He says it'd be like if an artist was told that he could only paint with yellow, green, and purple, but then they're told, go nuts, you have 15 minutes. They shake hands. Gibson says that he always felt like they had the ball and chain on Spanky, but tonight it comes off. Um, this is something they did in the hype to this match online. They they do it when when the match happens in a little bit, and um, they certainly did in this segment. They really tried to build this match around WWE. You know, had both these guys. They told them that all these things they couldn't do. They really restricted them, and. In a way, I don't mind that because that it was kind of the selling point of Ring of Honor, which was, you know, that we give our wrestlers a lot of leeway and we kind of give them a lot of creative freedom. But in a way, a lot of these kind of promos and sell job, they kind of verged on being almost like Russo shootish where, you know, you're talking about writers telling you moves you can't do. Like it's – you're getting kind of close to basically just breaking, you know, like – Rea- the, the, the reality K-fabe. of K-fabe is what you're yeah, looking for. Exactly. The, um, uh, the, Matt, am I crazy in that, or am I thinking overthinking this? Or they 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 tried to straddle the line. They didn't go over the top by saying like this is fake, but you know, like they they kind of like were like borderline with it because uh, they were sort of like the implication, like you could have argued, was that they were you know they were wrestling, but they couldn't do certain moves, which you know obviously like in a real fight. Or, you know, like you're not – that's not really possible, right? You're going to do the thing that you need to in the moment to win, right? Um, yeah. But so so, so it's, it was it's the, tough. You, yeah. They have 15 minutes comment that was just yeah. like – like Russo could have wrote this fucking promo. Right. But, but actually – But what it actually felt like to me less than a Russo promo was more like a 2002 ROH promo where everybody backstage is being like super sincere but also talking about how they want to put on the best match and steal the show and like all this stuff and it's like you know it kind of takes you out of it a little bit but it's also like a mission statement thing but Trevor did you did you did you see what i mean like this felt like it was sort of out of like a 2002 ROH tape yeah it was yeah because that was definitely 2002 it was a lot of again like I think they were trying very hard the idea of like we're the alternative just because you won't see this kind of match on blank, you know. Yeah, it was it was and, sort of like a promo between like um uh James Maritato and uh Tony Mamaluke. Like where it's like I want the okay, <laughs> stop doing the FBI gimmick and we gotta be you gotta be a serious wrestler because ROH is about wrestling and like, you know, stuff like that. And we'll get into it, but I think it does kind of hurt them in a slightly. We'll get into that when I guess when the match comes up. But first we have Colt Cabana defeating Nigel McGuinness via pinfall in 12 minutes, 8 seconds, using a roll-up. Um, this was, I think, my second favorite match on the show. I thought this was, like, low, very good. Uh, good. I um, I don't know, like, three and a half to three and three-quarter stars. I really like this. This is a very unique match for Ring of Honor at this point. Um, this is probably the first match uh, Colt's had since his return from his little UK excursion in late 2004, where he really gets to kind of show off what he learned. Because this match with Nigel is pretty British-influenced, I would say. And it's all, um, apart from some work on that uh, arm work in the final minute, this is... There's like no strikes and no like impact moves, like no slams, no drops. It's, it's just... 
grappling and and reversals and, and counters and it's really fun and the crowd loves it. They just eat it up. And the thing I love about this match is I like out and out comedy matches. I like out and out serious matches, but I feel like a lot of the times people act like it has to be one or the other. And I feel like this is a great match to watch. If you want to see a match where there's some fun, there's some humor at the crowds laughing at a lot of different points, but at no point does this feel like a quote unquote comedy match like it always feels like these two are trying to win a match and they they also get across like it's um that feels like a friendly competition like they're both trying to win but they're both faces they don't hate each other but they're both kind of having a good time but it's still a competition like nulti at one point on commentary breaks out the old you know it's a chess match which a lot of commentating commentators use that for different matches but this match it did kind of feel like you know these guys were trying to outthink each other and out counter each other and out one up each other and it's a match where there's not like one big highlight it's just really a little bit unique just and it's a match again with no big high spots so to speak and it never loses the crowd the crowd eats it up um matt i i wonder if i'm gonna be the high vote on this how what did you think about this uh, I mean, I, I I don't know about the star rating, but I, I definitely thought it was a great fun. You know, like just, just that, that's the word that you could definitely everyone will probably agree at least as far as a word that can describe this match is fun. Um, the you know there is a lot of humor and laughter and stuff. Um, although I can't always tell what they're laughing at. You know, like it's like like I, you know like they'll do like a wrist lock and Cole Cabana will. I mean, I guess it's just like his mannerisms and like his timing and stuff. But it, it's not like the the the, the laughing is like based on joke stuff it's just more like he'll be like no 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 no," and then like switch around or something you know like to do a reversal um it's not like there's like out and out jokes um you know but it's hard to even you know pin down um exactly all the different stuff they're doing but yeah it's definitely the most like world of sport influenced of any roh match yet i mean i certainly if you watch a world of sport match this is not as hard hitting and it's you know the pacing is a little different and the vibes are different so i wouldn't quite say it's that style of match but it's definitely influenced by it and uh and the crowd eats it up just as much as they would eat up any like indie spot fest you know i mean like i guess the one thing that people might not love about this match would be like how much it feels like they're you know like it's almost like a tribute match to a certain style as opposed to a match in the style, because, you know, Colt, I think it seems like is probably like getting used to doing it. You know, like he went to Europe just a few months earlier. He hadn't really done a match like this before. Um, Nigel obviously feels a little bit more at home in it, but they both, they both are, you know, doing a good job and enjoying it. And um, you're right. There's not a lot of big spots until Nigel gets on that arm submission, which Gabe calls again as that arm submission. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder if anyone has acknowledged that that is just what the move is called now. Um, but and Colt wins with like that, you know, that whole like artful dodger. Is that what they call it? Where he like crawls under the legs and does a leapfrog and a roll up out of nowhere. And but yeah, no, just super super fun. Just like um, you know, great reactions. Like I think like just as much of the as the moves and the holds and the reversals is like the facial expressions and the reactions to the different reversals. Because they just like they the the wrestlers really get to show their personalities in the match. And Nigel really hadn't had much of a chance to show his personality yet. Um as surprising as that is because you know he had a great personality over the years, but this is really the first match where he starts to show a bit of a character. And I think that that that's good and that enhanced the match a lot. And cult is always cult. So yes, fun. 
fun, fun, fun. That's what I would say is about about this match. And Stephen, the one thing we didn't mention, uh, I think this is a pr- surprisingly noteworthy show. And one thing I think, and Matt can correct me if he if he can remember otherwise, I think this is a little piece of Ring of Honor history because this is the first time I believe we've seen Nigel rebound off the ropes. Except he doesn't rebound into a lariat; he rebounds into an attempted schoolboy that Colt counters. But he goes into the ropes; he leans way back in them, just like if he was going to do the rebound lariat. And he just does a completely different move. But I think that's the first time we've seen that. So a little piece of Ring of Honor trivia there is the first rebound was this show. What did you think about yeah. the match? And are you a huge fan of rebounds? Uh, no, I think you should take your time before you get into something serious. <laughs> um, but did you guys like mention on any of your podcasts that Nigel comes out with a fucking iron? I think I this. I, I, I think this I think this is the debut of the iron. He. Do, I, maybe okay. maybe I could be wrong about that. I could definitely be wrong and just have not noticed it. Because, but he he definitely has the iron a lot over time. And I was actually going to ask Trevor this: Is this the debut of the iron, or have I just like completely just ignored it the last the bunch of times? See, I can't remember, but I'll say this: If it's not the debut of the iron, it, it's. Very early because I, you know, I think we would have known if we had seen it a lot. We because we, yeah, I think it might be the debut of the Iron. And can you imagine having to take that with you, like in traveling? Or does he just go to every city and go, guys? Do you have an Iron? I have the sticker to put on it. You have an Iron. Well, how do you think he keeps his clothes all nice and straight? Yeah, well, if he, well, if he's a, well, if he's a real punk, he doesn't. Oh, okay. burn! No, I Matt mean the punk card. <laughs> well, the, the, I mean that is sort of his like look, right? Yeah, kind of yes, like yes, a seventies like punk thing. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, uh, so I, I, like you said, it, it's 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 pretty fun, uh, and it, it's totally the. It's not the high end world of sport. It's more the undercard babyface making fun of the heel comedy type of world of sport. Yeah, uh, and, and luckily the crowd like completely buys in. Uh, so it's just this. Yeah, it's just a really good blend of technical wrestling and comedy. Um, and clearly setting up things to come, uh, which is, um, you know, good. To, like they have obviously good chemistry and um, you guys will, it looks, it sounds like you might have a treat with uh, these two facing off again. Yeah, th- this will be uh, uh, something we'll see more than once. And I guess the last thing I'll say is, Matt, you made a point I want to bring up, which is you mentioned how, the, you know, a lot of the times the crowd was laughing and they weren't even laughing at like, a big comedy spot because there weren't that many big comedy spots in this match. I agree. There was like, there was one spot where, um, uh, Colt wants to get a headlock, but Nigel keeps moving his head. So that's kind of a comedy spot. And there's a spot where Colt keeps encouraging Nigel to run the ropes, but then he keeps sticking out his leg to trip him. And Nigel keeps catching him like, Hey, I know what you're doing. But other than that, this is like all the laughs in this match basically come from like, just like Colt, like, exaggerating a, a facial expression or like looking to the crowd or stuff like that. And the crowd is very, I would say generous to it. And not that it was not funny, but just like they could do a little bit and they would get a big laugh. It wouldn't even have to be like a big over the top spot. So that was another note where I, I think this was the point where I like wrote down, like this is a really good crowd because they were just very easy to please at least up to this point. Um, well, it was nice because it was like, Colt was trying to do the style but hadn't mastered it yet, so you like you could kind of see him thinking about how to do the next move, uh, and that was humorous. Yeah, and um, 
So that brings us to the Ring of Honor tag team title match of BJ Whitmer and Dan Moff. The champions, they successfully defended the titles, defeating Delirious and Jimmy Jacobs in 9 minutes, 28 seconds, when Moff pinned Delirious after he hit the burning hammer. So, uh, Stephen, I'll let you go first because you had a thing you wanted to say about how I'm interested to hear you say how you thought the uh, promo earlier set up this match. But the one thing I'll say is for anyone that's wondering – why the heck is Del- are Delirious and Jimmy Jacobs getting a tag title shot? Gabe actually really does a good job explaining that. He mentions that um, Delirious and Jimmy Jacobs, I believe, had one tag match together. Maybe the last time they were in Dayton and they won. And based on that, Ring of Honor immediately booked them on this show to face Moth and Whitmer in a tag match. But since then, Moth and Whitmer have won the tag titles. And rather than change the match or not have the titles be on the line, Moff and Whitmer decide, well, yeah, we can keep the titles on the line. And so I appreciate like when Gabe does stuff like that, where it just takes a couple sentences and he just explains like, yes, these guys technically probably wondering they don't deserve a tag title shot. Well, here's why. And it all makes perfect logical sense. You go, Oh, I get it. And, um, but, um, Steven, I'm interested to hear what you thought about the match and what you thought about the story of this match. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, they did a reverse brain busters at SummerSlam 89. Like the match was signed before they won the titles and they decided to actually put them up. Um, so that, that was neat. Uh, I thought, but, I thought for a second, yeah, I thought like, you meant they did like reverse brain busters in the match. I'm like, I don't remember that move. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that would look like. Um, so they said in the, the promo there, like we are going to be champions a long time and they had won the titles before and um, it was that round robin-y thing where they lost them on their very first defense. So here they are. They have to defend the titles again for the first time, and they have decided they are not fucking losing the titles on their first defense, right? So they come out insanely super aggressive and just utterly destroy them. Uh, and it eventually leads to the missing uh, – I think it was Moth misses a cannonball into the corner, and, and Jacobs gets this hot tag, uh, and, and they're just having – after Jacobs had been a really good uh, face in peril, uh, and then um, uh, Delirious, the other partner, I forgot his name for a second, uh, he was a really good face in peril, and eventually it led – so you had this super hot opening with uh, Moth and Whitmer just killing them, uh, and then – delirious and then they got some offense in uh and then moff and whitner seem to be in control whitner goes for a fucking power bomb off the top rope which is countered into frankensteiner where delirious hits a senton right after with like one of the most amazing near falls i've ever seen like i think most people bought it and because they lost the titles on their first defense before you can kind of see how people would buy it and it was so close. That was such a great moment. Um, and then you can see when they were like, shit, we almost lost them on our first defense again. They just go into hyperdrive and Moff just absolutely kills them. Whit- Whitmer just destroys them with a rich clutch exploder. They take Jacobs to the floor. They just do these insane, um, like pick him up and battering ram him into the guardrails from like one side to the other. Just, destroy him and then they go in the room the ring and uh it's a burning hammer by moth on delirious for the win um and, and the story of them just like not wanting to lose the titles and then almost happening and them just unleashing hell 
uh, I thought was beautiful. And that deer fall was uh, out of this world great. So uh, big thumbs up for me on this one. Matt, I, I want your opinion, but I also want your answer for this question, which is we're talking about Ring of Honor firsts. Is this the first show where at the start of Moth and Whitmer's music, they've now added a clip of, of Moth whispering, it's hammer time? Is, is, this, is that new? Was I going insane? Did I hear that? It's, he literally says, I heard it. I heard it. It's, uh, it's either new or they did not show it on previous uh, events. But yeah, Stephen, actually, after your uh, recap, I actually like this match a lot more now. Because, um, you know, like part of it to me was um, – you know, I, I, you know, at the beginning of the match, like you said, Moffat Whitmer came out super aggressive. They didn't, they didn't do the code of honor. And I actually thought it was weird that like, because Gabe is usually like appalled when someone doesn't follow the code of honor. It's like, what are they doing? How could they bring? And, but instead Gabe's just like, I'm shocked. They're so aggressive, you know? And I was like, well, wait a minute. This is a double standard here. And, and I didn't, I wasn't totally feeling it when they were like, just like destroy. I mean, obviously Jimmy's a great face in peril, but. You know, I, I I thought kind of the the face in peril part like I, I just it just they didn't feel like baby faces to me, and they were supposed to be baby faces. I'm talking about Moff and Whitmer, um, you know, where they were just they were just abusing Jacobs for so long. But when you contextualize it the way that you do, it actually makes more all of it a lot more palatable to me. Um, obviously, that spot with the uh, where Whitmer goes to, where Whitmer goes to do the top row power bomb, and Jimmy turns it into a Rana. Uh, and then into the shadows over hell, like that was an amazing sequence. I absolutely agree. That match, that's that that near fall was fantastic, and it also got me thinking. Um, remember, a year later, they have that spot where Jacob, where Whitmer goes for a top rope power bomb on Jacobs, and they both fall off the top rope, and Jacobs hits his uh, head on the on the uh, on the apron, and that's like a very insane spot, and you know could have been. You know, life ending. Um, but it makes me wonder if this is what they were going for—that reversal into the Rana here, instead of the uh, instead of the uh, actual power bomb. I don't know. Makes me just makes me wonder. Um, but um, but yeah, the way you describe it, where it's like they don't want to lose, they almost do lose, and then that just puts them on a whole other level of fury. I actually I actually do appreciate that. So this match, I'm bumping it up a notch in, in my in my mind. But watching it, I was sort of like. It was odd. It was okay. The ending was really good, and I'm not sure why they made Moff and Whitmer feel like heels. Um, I will say this: I say actually, as as good as that, um, as that, um, you know, power bomb into shadows, uh, you know, to the Rana into the shadows over Hell Nearfall was my favorite spot of the match. Is when they hit those really cool reverse brainbusters. <laughs> oh, you little scamp! This is why they call you the Golden Fleece. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I, I agree with you, Matt, about Steven, actually, where, like, you know someone g- gives a good match review when, it, like, you, you've you done this sometimes on the show, Matt, where, like, it starts to change your opinion of the match as you listen to it, You're like, where you're like, oh, no, maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> because I also, like you, was like, I thought this was, like, my least favorite match up to the show, but uh Steven did bring up, like, some really good points, congratulations, Steven, you've, you've, Got me to question everything yet again. Um, uh, shout out but, to Daniel, who I, I, I stole that from. So uh, but, big ups for him. <laughs> yeah, they definitely tried to show like that. You know, Moff and Whitmer weren't fucking around. That they were like willing to you know attack their opponents before the bell, even though you were thinking they're supposed to be faces. And yeah, it wasn't really like they were heels. It was more just like they're just they're not heels. They're not faces. They're just so 
intense about we're not going to screw this up like our last rain that lasted an hour. Um, I felt like this was though the problem, and, I, and Matt, I think you were you were talking about this. You were kind of alluding to this, which is. I feel like the, the the opening is hot and fun where they're brawling and the end with the big spots are fun. But when most of this match is like a long face in peril for Jimmy Jacobs, who's great at playing a face in peril. But this is a face in peril where I think he gets like zero offense. Like he doesn't get like one move, I don't think, until it's time to make the tag out. And I think that's really hard for a lot of tag teams. Like that's the hardest part, even though it seems easy. I've just seen so many tag teams where – when they have like a long string of time to control the match, they kind of have a hard time keeping the crowd engaged. And I felt like some of their moves were offense was interesting when they were in control, but some of it wasn't. And it was like the first time of the night you could hear the crowd get a little quiet. But then going to what Steven was saying, I feel like the, the super power bomb being turned into the Rana in midair was the biggest pop of the entire night. And it's, if you want to ever see a crowd, like go from zero to a hundred in terms of reaction, like watch this match for that moment where you can all of a sudden hear them, you know, they're kind of like, yeah, this match is just a match. And then in that spot, it's like WrestleMania main event. Like they're maybe not quite that big, but they're, they're losing their minds. They're all of a sudden buying that Jimmy Jacobs and Delirious could be the tag team champions from that near fall. And it's just a, one of the biggest spots, if not the biggest spot of the night. And yeah, like you said, Matt, I wouldn't be surprised if like, that's why they Jimmy Jacobs and DJ Miller would keep trying to kind of probably chase the high from the spot on this match and why it would nearly kill them on a future show. But yeah. uh Oh, and by the way, um as much as you know you can maybe mock the idea like how could Jimmy Jacobs and Delirious win the tag team titles, do keep in mind that later that same year, uh Salonaro and Tony Mamaluke won the ROH tag team titles. After not being much more, you know, certainly I'd say being much lower on the card than Jacobs was and possibly lower than Delirious was at this point even. Um, so, you know, in, in ROH, it wasn't even that far-fetched. Um, the other thing I was going to say is, um, so we all know that Jimmy Jacobs is a great face in peril. Do you think that it was a mistake to not make him the FIP champion? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I'm taking back your fleece. Okay. Kind of, we're downgrading it to silver. No, that was great. It just kind of keeps coming out of my mouth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm. Give star he, ratings for the jokes, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> That's a four now he, star. At he, least. Now, he rates them like average, above average. <laughs> that one's below average. Uh. Uh, <laughs> So after the match, uh, the Ring of Honor students enter the ring to help Delirious to the back. I don't know why I included that. It's my recap. I assume it's because I thought they they, they put the camera on this for loft. I thought something was going to come from it. And then I just went, oh, no, that was just that. Um, that leads us to our next match, though. James Gibson defeats Spanky via submission in 13 minutes, 28 seconds, when he made him tap out to a guillotine, guillotine choke. Uh, Dave Meltzer really did like the build to this match because I have a quote from him, The Observer, where he wrote, I love this line for a James Gibson versus Spanky match on the February 25th Dayton show in an ROH release. Quote, these two requested to wrestle each other so they can compete at their best without any of the restraints that they used to have in WWE. So Dave really did like that build up. But uh, Matt, what do you think about this as an actual match? Did, did they show you, Matt, what these two can do without all the chains and the restraints of WWE? 
I mean, I mean, as much as I kind of want to mock that, yes, they, they did. I mean, when you when you start the match and you see all the mat wrestling and all the stuff they do, like stuff that they were never allowed to do in WWE, especially during those early runs. Yes, they they they, they actually did get to show a lot. I will say that the uh, Confederate flag on James Gibson's trunks does not age well. Oh um, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's in 2005. It probably hadn't aged well, but I don't remember anybody making a big deal out of it at the time. I think it was sort of just like accepted at the time, like, oh, Southern wrestlers, they like their Confederacy. I don't know. Um, maybe we should have made a bigger deal out of it at the time, but it definitely does not look good now, especially when you're talking about like a, you know, a, 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 a from the heart baby face like Gibson was playing here. Um, but, you know, that aside, um, no, there was some there was some good wrestling in this match. They they definitely did stuff that they wouldn't have been able to do. They had like a slow, you know, well worked, well executed wrestling match. Um, they um, there were also some there were some cool spots. Like um, I don't know if you if I've ever seen this before. Even at one point, James Gibson went for a La Magistral roll up, and Spanky actually like countered it. Which I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember other matches where I've seen that countered. I'm sure if I watched Lucha enough, I would, but I don't really. So it's certainly not in American Indies. You don't really see that match, that move countered. Um, but yeah, when 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 Gibson is going is working over Spanky's arm, you know, it's, it's he was working over it slowly, but everything looks good. Um, Spanky does some some has get some cool near falls. He does a frog splash. He uh, he goes for a top rope Rana, and then Gibson turns it into a roll up. But then Spanky turns it into an arm breaker, which Gibson turns into a clover leaf. So they had some good um, they had some good reversals. At one point, Spanky went for the like a slice bread number two out of nowhere, but Gibson catches him and just it just hits a neck breaker. Um, some, uh, the the one thing I will say that I was annoying was Nolte's like screaming to put the match over. Uh, this was not one of his best performances, especially down the stretch, because I don't think this match called for screaming. Um, I think that not too many matches do, and this wasn't one of them, you know. But um, at one point, Spanky went for a super kick. Gibson caught it, spun him around, went for a tiger bomb, but Spanky turned that into a roll up, and that got a near fall. And actually, the crowd kind of bought that one, and I kind of did too. I thought that might be the finish, but then uh, Gibson hits the double underhook DDT in the front guillotine and gets the tap out. Um, they got a big ovation. I thought the match was nothing fancy, but it was it was what they advertised. You know, it was just a straight ahead match. Um, it had enough of a story to be engaging. It wasn't like super in depth in its psychology, but it was engaging. It was solid. Um, I thought it was good, and I thought it was. I thought they delivered what they said they would. So um, I, I thought this was a good match. I thought it was like I don't know three and a half stars. That's a good solid match. Nothing to be ashamed of. The one, the one thing I would say where I thought the selling of this kind of let it down is it did build it up a little too big in my eyes because the way I would look at it is this, which is this match was about – they were saying, you know, this is what these two can do, you know, that they couldn't do in WWE. And I agree. They couldn't do this match in WWE. In, in 2005, James Gibson and Spanky are probably not getting – 13 and a half minutes. They're probably not getting to do this many near falls and big moves. You know, I, I they're, and they're definitely not getting this like level of crowd reaction, probably on the C show pre opening up a, a taping that this would be on at the same time. While this might be a special match compared to what they can do in WWE, this was like, you see this kind of match in ring of honor pretty often. Like, and so Having the commentary keep selling over and over again that you won't see this kind of match in the WWE 
Well, the, the other half of that is you see this match in Ring of Honor a lot. It, it's kind of like they're trying to sell you I, I wrote in my notes, it's kind of like Ring of Honor trying to sell you how great Fresh Squeezed Lemonade is, but they're trying to sell it to people that already live on a lemon farm. Like, we we buy Ring of Honor DVDs. Like, we this is not special to us. This is good, but we, we already know these guys are can do this kind of match when they're not – don't have the restrictions, which is why we're buying Ring of Honor DVDs at this point. And there is one weird line where um, Gabe says at one point as, as a way – he's trying to compliment it, this match, but it doesn't come off that way. He says um, – Gabe says at one point, you won't see a match like this on SmackDown because this doesn't draw ratings, he says. And he says that like it's a big compliment, but it's like isn't that kind of – like, shouldn't good wrestling, like, he's like, you know, this match doesn't draw ratings. Um, but this was, I thought, a good match. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, it, it was kind of similar to the, uh, Nigel Colt match, not in style, but in the sense that it felt like a good, friendly competition that they were, it felt like they were both trying really hard to put on a good performance, but they didn't go too crazy. I agree with you, Matt, like, there were some really cool moments. I really liked the arm bar being countered into the Texas Cloverleaf. I liked walking the slice bread number two being countered mid, like walk up the turnbuckles into the neck breaker. And uh, I really appreciated James Gibson here. James Gibson's one of those guys where um, he doesn't do anything that's like you've never seen before or is necessarily a real wow, but he's one of those wrestlers where what makes him cool is not what he does, but how he does things. Like he, everything he does is just so crisp in execution. It's so snappy. Like he's, he's just a really polished performer in the best sense of the word. And just watching him do simple stuff is really satisfying just because everything he has like good more impact and like, you know, it's kind of the opposite of a lot of indie guys where they do really cool things, but maybe their execution's only like 80% there, you know, He's the opposite. It's just really good stuff. And well, one last thing is uh, Spanky really did a cool um, move, which was almost like he did like a stunner, but a stunner where he kind of brought the guy's head down onto his knee instead of onto his shoulder, which I thought was a really cool move. People should uh, rip that off if no one's doing it. But uh, Steven, uh, we, I've prattled on long enough. What did you think about the match? Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Nulty was really – irritating near the end of this match but like it's really weird with nolte because sometimes he makes like really good points before he gets into these very annoying states like he um he, he made a point about how when you're going to the top rope it's not about how many flips or whatever you do it's about how quickly you can get to the top and then back down to like not give your opponent a chance to get up so, so like it's weird he's like smart and he has good points but then he's like completely shits on things and doesn't get the story and over exaggerates and it, it's very weird um so it, it's a it's kind of a, a fun ride with him because at any moment it could be garbage announcing or like a really good point um but for this match yeah like you said i think i think the thing that stands out to this for this to me uh is james gibson he was so polished and he's really smart like a lot of the things he did he just he did the little things very well, which oftentimes those are kind of forgotten while you're going for the bigger stuff. So it was like this match is a little bit different than some of your Ring of Honor matches because Gibson is so like he's doing all the very small things 
so well um, that it, it is a pleasure to watch. It was kind of old school in a way while still being a Ring of Honor match. So it's a little bit of a change up. I wonder if Gibson, as he gets more into his Ring of Honor run, um, goes for more of the Ring of Honor big style. Or if he keeps those little things in the polished WWE style that he gets from working, you know, like a hundred more matches a year than some of these people on the indies. Uh, so that, that'll be something for you guys to look out for. I'm giving you a homework for future yeah. shows. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this and it, it was worked very smart. Um, uh, Spanky didn't like he, the arm work was there by Gibson and Spanky kind of did a bunch of moves with that arm, which kind of bothered me, but it doesn't take away from it too much, but overall, uh, very enjoyable. And, um, this show, man, like every match has been a little bit different. So it hasn't, it hasn't been too ring of honor. It's like you're getting, it's like a circus where you're getting, you know, different rides instead of just looking at the funny mirror all day. Well, I think, uh, I think this, great. I think this is an era of ROH where they have enough variety that the shows are a little, are a little bit fun, except when they have like the super long ones where it's much better to watch those in, in parts. I think that you'll see if you watch like a bunch of these, like they, they, this is an era where like they, you, you can kind of get, get through it in a kind of a breezy way. Um, I think this is, this is a good era for them. Um, one, one thing I will say about Tre- what, about Trevor, what you said about how this match is like, um, you know, we see this kind of match a lot. I do think the fact that Gibson in particular is so polished, I do think this gives us, this match a little bit of a different feel than some of the other technical matches that ROH has. It's just like, I don't know, there's something classy about it. I don't know what to say, but it's, it's, it seems real professional-like. <laughs> no, the, the, that's a good point. Like, I always think back to, like, I, I might have used this this before, but I remember once, even though I don't know how to play pool, I've never played a game of pool in my life, I read a book about pool hustling once, and there was a line where it's like, someone, like a good pool player, you know, does a trick shot until they can do it once. And like a great pool player or a great pool hustler does like a trick shot until they can do it like a hundred out of a hundred times. And I feel like the difference between like James Gibson and a lot of other wrestlers on the indies at this time or stuff was like other wrestlers will learn a move until they can do it. And like James Gibson or even, even though he's a horrible guy to bring up, like Chris Benoit of this era were guys who like, you could tell every move they did, they did it until it was like, perfected like even simple moves if it was going to be like a clothesline or a hip toss or whatever you know they weren't going to be just satisfied with like oh i can do this pretty well like everything had to be kind of drilled till it was just like exact and looked great every time and was fluid and you know and that's that's the difference in polish it's not that like he's doing things that no one else can do it's that he's just has a whole his work is at a higher standard on the little things but um, Stephen, I thought you made a couple great points about uh, we will take the homework, teach. We will find out the evolution of James Gibson, and um, you, yeah, I, I did miss that too. Like um, Spanky did have his arm worked on, and it didn't really lead to anything other than him grabbing his arm in pain a couple times. Like it didn't really change the match. So I agree about that too. That's a good point. And uh, my last little thing here is. Uh, uh, at one point, Gibson just throws one hard chop. It's a really hard chop, but he gets a round of applause from it. And Gabe uses that 
that moment in the match to praise the crowd. He says something like, this is a good crowd. They didn't come here to overanalyze things or second guess things. They're here to have fun. And the wrestlers are feeding off of that. And you could tell that it was kind of like a pointed message to other ring of honor crowds. I felt like, Gay was maybe not in the best mood with the fans uh, at this point because at this time of his life, because, you know, it was going back to that opening match where he basically was like, the fans say they know what they could book better than me, but hey, you know, they can't with a bad name for a tag team and like this. And the, I guess the one thing that kind of bugs me about this line is just the the fans are just here to have fun you know like good fans have are just here to have fun and they don't overanalyze things i agree that some crowds are pickier than others and i'm sure that's a huge pain in the ass for wrestlers and bookers but like the idea of just sit down and have fun that's what you hear like a lot of wwe wrestlers say today and it's kind of like if, if if fans just like sat down and had fun and didn't like have standards or like pick at things ring of honor would have never had an audience because Ring of Honor's entire audience was like fans that were disenfranchised with mainstream wrestling. Like to say, oh, we don't like fans that, you know, overanalyze things. Well, those are the kind of fans that go on internet message boards and, and buy DVDs instead of just watching whatever's on TV. They're the fans that aren't satisfied with just any wrestling that's like average that they see. So that, that kind of irked me a little bit, I admit. But, um, um, after the match, we get a big SmackDown sucks chant, which they also gave before the match started. Spanking Gibson raise each other's arms. One or two fans tried to add dick to the end of the SmackDown sucks chant, which I thought was like somehow SmackDown sucking was not enough. Some fans were like, no, they don't just suck. They suck dick. Like, I felt what like else would fans. they be sucking? <laughs> I, I love that. They just had to, they had to spell it out for you, Steve, just in case you didn't know. Maybe they were sucking lollipops. You yeah, don't I was going to say lollipops. Lollipops, um, popsicles, um, <laughs> their, th- but, uh, their thumb. You know, you know, some people do that. You know, even when they, sh- you know, when that they should have grown out of the habit. Pacifiers, possibly if they're Maggie Simpson. <laughs> uh, the homophobia got- of this uh, of wrestling at this time, like it, it just bothers me. You know, there's a lot like, of it. There's definitely a lot of it. I know. Um, Get better, more- people. I think you have mostly, but. Yeah, I Get think better are, people in 2005. <laughs> it honestly, I like, think when did, game, when did uh, same-sex marriage come legal here in Canada? Wasn't it around that time? I so, don't even know. That's how what a privileged world I live in, where I don't even have to know. Well, I can tell you this. So this I can tell you this. This is just a few months after the 2004 presidential election, where same-sex marriage was like a big wedge issue because I think it had just been legalized in Massachusetts a couple of years earlier and nowhere else in America. And so Bush was able to use that and be like, uh, you know, put that on the ballot. We got to protect marriage, the sanctity of marriage. And it became like this <laughs> yeah. big, big wedge issue. It helped him win the election, actually. Oh three, Ontario and BC, it became legal, and then across Canada in 05. So it was this year. So get with it, crowd. In, Amer- so, in America, in America, just so you know, it didn't become legal in the entire country until ten years after this. Wow. Yeah, but uh, this is going to be a hard transition to go back and say, "Oh, I have a couple comments about this wrestling match." But uh, Gabe talked to the torch after this match, and he said, uh, "James Gibson, this is Gabe talking, who has wrestled on some of the biggest cards ever and for major promotions, told me he got emotional at the crowd reaction after his match in Dayton. That is a huge compliment towards the crowd, right there." 
And then PW Insider wrote, James Gibson told a number of people at the Dayton, Ohio show that he was overcome with emotion after his match with Spanky due to the overwhelming response the fans gave him. Gibson actually expected that he was going to get little or no response. So when the fans went nuts for him, it was a really special moment and he nearly began crying in the ring after the bout. And I don't know if you can see him on at that emotional, but you definitely can see after the match when the crowd's chanting, he keeps like like gesturing to the crowd and like revving them up and like playing to it. And you can tell he's pumped up. I didn't realize apparently he was close to crying, but apparently like this is yet another wrestler. You can add him to the list of like Kenta Kobashi and the great Muda. There are, there are a number of wrestlers in ring of honor history that before they debut, they apparently tell everyone that like, yeah, no one's going to know who I am. It's not going to be a big reaction. Like, I don't know why you guys think there's going to be a big reaction. And then they get kind of like overwhelmed. Like, holy shit. No, this entire crowd actually knows who I am and loves me. And that's, that's a, that's a heartwarming thing to counter the homophobia, the homophobia, um, the homophobia and the Confederate flag. Um, but other than that, it was a nice moment. They, they really love the dude in the Confederate flag. <laughs> Good for their crowd. They, they've overcome their homophobia with that. <laughs> To, to be fair, only a few fans were just, were adding the dick to the socks. I got to defend them a little bit. They they were only mildly. <laughs> if I if I listen, if I want to get really granular about it, the whole etymology of the phrase "sucks" is probably homophobic to begin with, isn't it, Trevor? Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, it's, yeah, I know, I know. Nah. But Matt, we have seen such horrors. I, I, I this this is light compared to the horrors listen, we have seen. Expecting a crowd of dudes or anybody at any time in the now or then to stop saying things suck is just not going to happen. So we're just going to have to get over that one. So next we go backstage. It is intermission and Dave Prezak is there. He was doing the uh, ring introductions for the night and for, as he was doing for the Midwest shows at this point, and he's backstage with CM Punk doing some backstage interviewing duty. Uh, Prezak wonders why Punk is in such a good mood, which I guess would be the second straight show where the storyline has been CM Punk is in a good mood. You can tell you're, you're normally known for being kind of a grump and an asshole when like a storyline development is, why are you happy for once? But that's what the storyline's been for two shows now. And Punk admits he's usually a crab ass. Punk even says crab ass. But tonight he's in a good mood because he gets to wrestle Alex Shelley. Punk then gives a warning to Prince Nana saying, don't start something you can't end. So very short kind of nothing promo. Don't know if you guys have any thoughts on it. Um, well, it, it, just like the Moth promo, it does do some foreshadowing, but that's about it. Yeah. And that brings us to the first match back from intermission, a four-corner survival match. Daisy Hayes defeated Allison Danger, Lacey, and Tracy Brooks in 6 minutes, 20 seconds, when uh, Daisy pins Lacey after hit a big running boot to the head. Um, rare women's match in Ring of Honor for this time. We were told at some point late in 2004 that Gabe said we're going to try and actually start booking women's matches in Ring of Honor 2005, and... This match was both progress and not progress. It was progress in the sense where they this match was basically what you'd expect from a four-corner survival match with the men, which was it was sloppy. Um, there was a lot. There were some really exciting spots. It was all action. The crowd enjoyed it, but it still had the classic Gabe Ring of Honor touch, where Gabe does his Jerry Lawler impression. And this this is on one of those times where Nulty actually calls him out, where um. One of the first things Gabe says in this match is, 
Lacey's bending over to do a spot and Gabe says, nice shot there. And Nolte just says, way to treat women's wrestling seriously. And at that point, Nolte starts asking Gabe, join me in the 21st century where we have the WNBA and the U.S. women's soccer team and we treat women as athletes seriously. And it, well, apparently, apparently it took Nolte till February 2005 to get there himself. So yeah, it's just one of those things where um. You know, they go back and forth between, you know, Gabe does as usual. This isn't, you won't see, this isn't a diva contest, but then he'll do stuff like, um, Nalty does a point in the commentary where he says, the women in this match might not be used to multi-person situations. And then Gabe says, I'd like to be in a multi-person situation with these women. And it's just, you know, it's like, he can't decide, like, does he want to do like, you know, again, the sub Jerry Lawler impersonation, or does he actually want to sell like, Hey, these women are serious wrestlers. Cause he tries to have it both ways. And, um, yeah, I, I go in individual spots, but actually, first, I want to go to you guys, and especially you, Stephen, as, you know, a co-host of a podcast all about Shimmer Wrestling, a Shimmer a promotion that I believe started in 2005. I mean, what do you think about this match and also how these women get treated? I, I imagine it's a pretty big uh, sea change compared to what you're used to on Shimmer. Um, I refused to listen to Gabe during this, so I don't know what he said, but I'm sure it's garbage. Um, yeah, so actually Shimmer started in November of 05, so a little bit after this, and it actually, uh, the first main event is uh, Daisy Hayes and Lacey, uh, which is kind of the the indie best women's match that kind of toured all, toured all around, so it, it makes sense they're paired up here. Um and yeah, this is before. Uh, wow, I wrote Tracy Brooks twice in the uh, the uh, my listing of the match, but Allison Danger is the other person in this, and um, this is kind of before she really, um, like she was okay, but she hadn't really hit her groove yet, uh, which she eventually does in Shimmer, uh, and she she gets pretty decent. Tracy is not very good, um, but she was like in TNA at the time. Uh, and I think she was dating Punk, so she was around the scene. So, but uh, yeah, she's easily the like her and Allison Danger are the the weak links in this match, and it it really picks up pretty much anytime Lacey and Daisy Hayes are doing stuff. Um, some of my favorite things in this was uh, Lacey's going to go for a dive. She gets the crowd all pumped up, and then instead of doing it, she just kicks Tracy in the back, which was pretty great because Lacey is like probably the best heel in wrestling at this point and for the next few years. So uh, that was just a nice spot to remind me of that. Um, and yeah, uh, Daisy has a lot of really nice dives. Everyone leaves. So it's just Lacey and Daisy and they have a really good um, hot finishing seg- uh, segment there. Um, and that's really good. Uh, and, and I like the ending. Um, and um, yeah, the they had a fork. They, uh, Shimmer didn't have a a four corner survival until like volume nine or eight or something. So they don't try to steal this concept for a while. Um, but yeah, it was overall pretty decent getting back from the, uh, from the intermission, a nice way to, uh, ease the crowd back into the show before going into, um, bigger things. Um, and, and I'm glad I did not listen to where Gabe said, <laughs> Matt, I, I want your thoughts, but I also have to ask you a question, which is, did you, or, uh, for both of you, actually, there is a spot in this match that you notice where um, Allison Danger does a cat mutilation on Tracy Brooks, 
but she doesn't hook the arms, which is, I don't know what this was supposed to be. She's like just lying there with her head in Tracy Brooks's shoulders. Like it's, I was like, you forgot the most important part of the move. And I, I, I there's something I'm missing here, Matt. What was well, going on? With well, like she, she was like pushing her arms down when she did it. Like she wasn't like, she wasn't doing nothing. She did have her hands on Brooks's arms, but she was like pushing them. But here's what I was wondering and if I think might have happened. Um, there was a spot where, um, where Brooks, like the Brooks and Hayes are, um, are doing a, uh, a double team. Like, um, Brooks has danger in, in a camel clutch and Hayes comes off the top with a drop kick to danger's face. And Gabe goes nuts for that spot. And one thing you know about Gabe is that if he goes nuts for a spot that doesn't look that nuts, you, it's because something real happened. And at yeah. one point, Gabe mentions that Danger might have a concussion, and you can see that her face is puffy at one point. So I wonder if she had a concussion, and that's why she did the weird, like, nothing bridge on Brooks. Um, oh, yeah, because he even sells, like, her face looks puffy, and I was like, I don't really notice it. And then you're exactly right. When Gabe mentions something like that that isn't really obvious, it's usually because it is, like like you said, like a re- legit injury. Yeah, so that's that's the conclusion that I came to, that she was just kind of messed up. And that's why she forgot to hook the arms when she did the cattle mutilation. Um, so yeah, so that was that was kind of scary. But the uh, yeah, I agree with Stephen that Lacey and Hayes had a good finish, and Brooks and Danger were not that good. But um, Brooks does do like a like a spinning like roll up thing. Like I guess that that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, that's like kind of the only. Thing that she does. Um, the one thing I will say about the commentary, as gross as it was, it was an improvement over that match from a few months ago, where they were just like, um, "Oh, like you know, I can't believe these women are not terrible. Like, isn't it great that these women are having a normal match and like even women can do it? You know, like, like yeah. this is this was definitely an improvement over that. So I'd say on the scale of commentary for ROH women's matches. This is another miniature step in the right direction, um, <laughs> while still being on the wrong side of bad. But um, it gets, and I'd say, would you say this is the best women's match they've had in ROH, or would you say that last one from a few months ago was better? Um, I'm not I, sure. This is the most action-packed one. I don't know if yeah. they've ever had a women's match like this where, you know, well, they mentioned it's the first four-corner women's match where it's just, you know, a big six-minute spot fest, basically. Yeah, I, I'd say... The last sequence with Hayes and Lacey was good. And it was short, and it didn't always hold together, but it had some pretty decent spots. Um, And uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, not the most memorable, but in the scheme of things, not bad. And and I agree with what Steven said, where, you know, Tracy Brooks, not very good. Alice in Danger, clearly kind of still learning. And Lacey and Daisy were clearly on a level on their own. And Daisy stole the show just because she got to do a bunch of cool flying moves. She does a big dive to the floor, you know, all that stuff. One other thing I noticed was there's a moment where um, I believe it's when Alice in Danger powerbombs Lacey as she suplexes Daisy Hayes, where the crowd does like, ooh, not everyone, but some of the crowds like, ooh, like when she puts her head in the crotch to do the powerbomb. And I, and I started thinking, you know, you never do that. Why don't if you're if that's what you're thinking of, why don't you ever do that when the men powerbomb the men? Like, shouldn't you have a different reaction then? Like, if if you're always going to take it to a sexual place, like you should be like, oh man, like Jimmy Rave really want to sucks, really wants to Trevor. have Lacey. 
what well, they are having those thoughts they just don't show them in public <laughs> well okay um it's just funny that like your mind goes to a sexual place there but like then shouldn't it go whether no matter your orientation shouldn't it also be like oh that guy's head's in, in a in a guy's crotch and that also means something but it's just a weird little thing but um yeah, so, yeah, this was, uh, I thought, overall, a breakout performance. Kind of a sloppy, exciting, short little spot fest and a breakout performance for Daisy. And that brings us to CM Punk defeating Alex Shelley via submission in 22 minutes when he made him tap out to the Anaconda Vice. Um, this was a uh, transition point in CM Punk's career because I believe this is the first match he ever wrestles, at least in Ring of Honor, in trunks, which is, Correct. I think, Confirmed. one of the... Yeah, this is one of the things he, uh, you know, I think the WWE did not, they want him to look more professional. And we know at this point, Punk was angling to get that WWE job. And he also has clearly has started to put on a little bit of muscle as much as a CM Punk probably could. It, naturally, he was starting to bulk up a bit. And those abs, and, man, those abs. Yeah. <laughs> no, he looked, he looked, and, he looked, he looked trim, like in, in the waist, like, Punk damn. Punk great. Yeah. Really. Yeah, um. Matt, what did you think about this as a match, though? Because they got these two got a lot of time. You know, twenty two minutes—that's a lot. Yeah, I um, I thought the match was slow early, but I ended up really liking the performances uh, and the drama down the stretch. This was a long match, yeah, like, like you said. Um, and they definitely, you know, were were going so like like right right at the beginning of the match. I, I, this is very unusual, but like Punk basically cuts a promo on Alex Shelley, like right at the beginning of the match while having him in a hold and like with no microphone, which is, which was funny. Like basically at the beginning of the match, Shell, you know, the whole gimmick is that Shelly wants forgiveness from the ROH locker room for all the bad things he did as the leader of generation next. So he puts out his hand and punk shakes it, but then punk takes him down and like, is basically like straddling him. And he's like, um, this handshake isn't good enough. You need to prove that you're not an asshole anymore. Um, so now you, this is your chance to prove it to me. And the crowd totally shut up for the promo too. Um, so because of that, it kind of set the stage for a, uh, a straight wrestling contest. You know, like they, they, they just sort of like they wrestled for a while. Um, at one point, even someone in the crowd was yelling something obnoxious, maybe boring, and the crowd and Punk told the crowd to shut him up for them. So they drowned the guy out with "shut the fuck up" chants. Like, so it totally worked. So I guess good job, Punk. Um, but yeah, so they, they they they're slow, and they um, and and they, they 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 do their their limb work. Um, and the announcers are putting over CM Punk's body and how it's very natural. And Nolte brings up that at a time when there are congressional hearings about steroids in sports, you know, it's great to see somebody doing it the natural way. And like that, that was the moment where I said, like, oh yeah, this really is 2005. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, Shelley does like an, so like Shelley is trying to be a good guy, right? So he does an interesting psychological move. Um, later in the match where he's like he's he's fighting punk on the outside and he's about to whip punk into the guardrail but then he yells god damn it and he stops himself and he throws him back in the ring and he, he so he's stopping himself from being too aggressive to prove himself but the announcers are actually like defending him they're like actually it'll be totally reasonable to do that that's just good aggressive wrestling but he still <laughs> he still stops himself from doing it cuz he wants to be a good guy um, i actually liked shelly's psychology in a few ways in this match like, at one point, Punk is working over Shelly's left arm. 
so Shelly takes his elbow pad off his right arm and he puts it on his left one. Um, you know, I, you don't see that too often, but I'll, I guess you also don't see too many wrestlers who just wear one elbow pad. So maybe that's why. Um, I don't know. But, um, you know, as they get into the match, um, there's a spot where um, where Punk, like, comes off the, the rope and Shelly catches him, like, almost with, like, a, a stomach breaker. Um, and, like, at that point, he starts working over Punk's ribs, uh, you know, to set up for the you – know, he does abdominal stretches and um, – you know, just, you know, kicks to the ribs and a modified border city stretch. And then at one point he goes, he goes, uh, he goes for, there's a really cool spot where Shelly's on the top rope and he goes for an inverted atomic drop off the top, but Punk lands on his feet and hits a shining wizard immediately. That was a cool spot. Um, you know, they have some stuff with, a with the Anaconda vice, uh, Shelly's reversing out of the Pepsi plunge. Uh, Shelly gets on the Border City stretch. The crowd starts to go nuts down the stretch because they were quiet pretty early, honestly. Um, and Punk reverses that into the Anaconda device and gets the win. I thought the finish was good. I, yeah, like I, I kind of almost like was ready to not like the match in the early part, and then I ended up really liking it. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm pro this match. I think it was a, a darn good match. Stephen, how about you? Um, up to this point, this was my favorite match of the show. Um, I, I was really into this um, because, uh, yeah, so Punk was really working the arm of Shelly, which played into later where um, his attempts at the Border City uh, stretch, uh, he couldn't really get the submission on enough to get Punk to tap because his arm was too hurt. Uh, and then after uh, Punk worked the arm a bunch, um uh, Shelly, yeah, like you said, with that gut buster, uh, started working Punk's stomach, which is not a thing that's generally worked on in matches. So that was neat to see. Uh, some gut busters. Uh, there was a really great hope spot that I loved where um, uh, Shelly had the camel clutch and uh, Punk was able to uh, to uh, fight out of it with punches uh, to the arm because uh, Shelly's arm was hurt. Um yeah, they did another rib breaker. So there was a couple in this match. Uh, the abdominal stretches, um, you know, to work over the belly, uh, like uh, Shelly was working it, but um, he couldn't hold it on for too long. So Punk was able to get out because his, his his arm was hurt. Um, so there's a lot of really cool stuff like that that I was really digging. And, and like you said, the finish got really hot near the end, um, and the arm work came into play because uh, the border started stretch couldn't be kept on and punk turned it into the andacata vice uh for the victory but yeah i was very pro this match and um i was, I was really into this the best match of the show up to this point i i like this too i thought this i thought there's been a lot of like three and a half star matches that are that's perfectly good i thought this was another one um i agree with you matt about it starting slow and kind of going is this going to be another like Aries Punk one that disappointed us a few, not their rematch, but their first one. And then it just keeps picking up. I think what happened was, yeah, it starts off with Punk working over Shelly's arm. And I felt like that was decent, 
But we had kind of seen a lot of good counter wrestling already on the night, especially with like Colt and Nigel. And so it just wasn't quite on that level. So it was kind of like, well, we've already seen a better version of this. And then I felt like the match really started to pick up when, um, Alex Shelley took control and started working over the, the stomach, both because I thought his stomach work was really good. I thought all the stomach breakers and he even does his big, um, flying uh double stomp to the back when a guy's bent over to work over the midsection he just sometimes would haul off and kick punk hard in the stomach i thought all that was cool to watch i also just think we see so many wrestlers work over either the arm the leg or maybe the neck we don't see nearly as much stomach work so i would say folks focus more on the stomach you know that's what i say to myself in the gym that's what you should say in a wrestling match focus more on the stomach it's 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 interesting not enough people do it and then I thought, like you said, again, Matt, like the match really picked – I thought this match had a good sense of progression where even if it did start out kind of slow, for 22 minutes, it kept building and building and building. And I felt like it peaked at the hottest point, which is you know what you are always told a match should do, which you know, don't overstay your welcome. So even if it was long, I felt like it kept going up as it went along. Um this was also a match where I really noticed the commentary because um, even though this match is clearly about Punk working over the arm of Shelly and Shelly working over the midsection of Punk, Mark Nolte starts talking about how, well, Punk's knee was injured in this match last week, so really uh, Shelly should be working over that. And I always, Nolte always does this where he work, there's a clear story in the ring. Instead, Nolte goes, well, that's not the story that makes the most sense in my head, so that's the story I'm going to sell. And it's like, your your job as an announcer is to help tell the story the bookers and the wrestlers want to tell, not the story you want to tell. And it's like, like berating the wrestler saying like, oh, Shelly shouldn't be working over the stomach. He's fucking working over the stomach. And I feel like he did this a couple times on the show. I feel like he kind of did this with um, Gibson and uh, Spanky too. And both times Gabe has to like r- quickly be like, you know, defend the wrestlers basically going, well, actually, no, this is a good idea because of blank. And it's like, you shouldn't have to do that as a commentator. You know, you shouldn't be working against the match. You should be working for it. And that is one uh, to me, if, you know, Nolte has some good points, but if you ask me what is like the most annoying thing about Mark Nolte, it's, it's that it's, it's his willingness to do that. So, and one last thing, um, Gabe does another good job of explaining why is Punk having this match with Shelly at this point, and Gabe explains that this match was signed before Final Battle 2004 when Generation Next turned on Alex Shelley, and Gabe says this was supposed to be the climax of the Second City Saints Generation Next feud, so... um you know, again, I like the, that he goes the extra mile to kind of explain why matches are happening, even if you kind of aren't sure. He he quickly comes up with very good, valid reasons. So, um, after the match, Punk kneels in the ring, and in a real big close-up from a ringside camp starts talking. He says, these hands are all I've got. And then in this great camera shot, you can see Jimmy Rave coming into frame from behind him. It's like a really cool camera shot. We then see Prince Nana and Fast Eddie close behind the three put boots to punk until Alex Shelley recovers. He fights all three of them off to a pop. The crowd chants, we want AJ again, anticipating the main event tonight. Crowd then chants for Shelley. And then punk and Shelley at this point are left alone in the ring. And Shelley grabs the mic. Um, Shelley says he finds it funny that they call Austin Aries a personal Jesus, since he's the one paying for generation Nexus sins. Shelley then tells Punk that he's trying, and he's sorry, he's sorry, he's sorry, he just keeps saying that. He gets a mix of cheers and boos. 
Uh, Shelly says, you can boo me all you want, but Generation Next are a bunch of douchebags. Instead of sneak attacks, they could have been learning from Steamboat, from Foley, from even from CM Punk. Uh, Shelly then asks for another handshake, and Punk accepts. Punk at this point says, Shelly gave a sweet little speech there, but while he may have temporarily forgiven him, don't count on Punk to save him if he's, if he's ever caught in a two-on-one or three-on-one beatdown. Punk then says, Shelly has a long road to hoe, but he's proven it to him, and Punk is the hardest bastard in the locker room to convince. Punk asks the crowd to give Shelly a round of applause, and Punk shakes Shelly's hand again. So, kind of an interesting booking choice where, well, they've been doing the last couple of shows this idea that, like, no one trusts Shelly and no one accepts his apologies. They have, like Punk says, like, the, the grumpiest guy be the first one to kind of accept his apology. So, what did you think about this whole little thing here, Matt? I, I like the Shelly angle a lot. You know, I think it, it takes it down a notch that I know that it doesn't really go anywhere. You know, like it ends up with him, I get turning heel again eventually before he could really climax as a babyface. But I actually think it had a lot of potential, like Shelley's road to redemption. I um, I would have liked to see that get a little more focus, but alas, it did not. Yeah, it's a nice moment that he actually gets, you know, there's some progression here where, you know, he actually earns someone's forgiveness, at least somewhat. I mean, Punk kind of hedges it at a couple points. But overall, at the end, he, he's outright telling the crowd, like, give Alex Shelley a hand. And again, this is about as baby face as CM Punk gets is this era of Ring of Honor. And um, He did, did sound kind of condescending towards Shelley, though. <laughs> yeah, he he did kind of act like he was like a 20-year veteran of Punk. I mean, and Shelley was like a three-year guy, like when they're very similar. But um, then at the end, he's like, hey – Give it up for Alex Shelley. He's sorry and he's trying. That is the gimmick, though, that he was sorry and he was trying. I need CM Punk in my day-to-day life to just preface, preface, preface every like interaction I have with people with that where he's just like, I just want you to know, Trevor, he's sorry. He's trying. Be understanding. You know, He's not there yet. I just want him to like come into every room before I walk in, lay that out, and let me come in. He's like, look, I'm an asshole, so if I think Trevor's trying, you gotta, you got to accept him too, goddammit. I, uh, I can introduce you that way every episode if you want. <laughs> that will be the long introduction that we need. But uh, <laughs> next up we have Brian Danielson and Samoa Joe defeating Generation Next of Austin Aries and Jack Evans in 23 minutes, 14 yeah. seconds, when Joe made Jack Evans submit to a crazy stretch. Okay, I just got to say, um, let me go into this. Um, people who listen to the show probably know I'm a pretty big Jack Evans fan. I just I think he's a wonderful pro wrestler. I think he's just pure entertainment. Um, this might be a top 10, top 5 Jack Evans performance of all time. Come on, come not on. Wait, 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 wait. Top, this is number one. What are you talking about? Number this one. Fucking I want to leave rules. things open because I haven't. There's a lot of Jack Evans I haven't seen, but I'll just say this: okay. this match has a massive Jack Evans botch, and even saying that, it is still one of the best performances he's ever had. It. Let, let's put it this way: Jack Evans is in a match with Brian Danielson and Samoa Joe, who are arguably not just two he all time. It shines them. Exactly. He. This is a match where he's in the ring with two Ring of Honor legends and arguably two of the best wrestlers of their generation. Austin Aries, the hottest rising indie star at this time who had just won the title from Joe. And this match is all about Jack Evans. It, he complete, The whole story is built around him. All the entertainment basically comes from him. Everyone's focused on him. And it's a match where 
on paper, I could see someone being disappointed in the sense if you look on this on paper and think these four are really talented, it's going to be like a serious action-packed 23-minute tag match. It, it's a match where it's mostly the Jack Evans show. You know, most of the, like Aries does not tag in for more than one move until 10 minutes into this match. And even then he quickly tags back out to Jack, which is kind of hilarious when you watch how much Jack gets his ass kicked in this match. That like the idea of like, okay, I've done two moves, Jack, you can go back in. But like, um, it's a match where like even Joe doesn't do that much. He does a few big spots, but he's mostly often on the apron. This match is almost like a house show match where you can tell they're kind of saving their bodies for the next night and they're letting Jack kind of carry the weight. But Jack Evans in this match shows you basically everything he can do. He does the shit talking, the charismatic shit talking, even when he's getting the shit beat out of him. He lets himself get bent like Gumby. He does the huge bumping that he's known for. He he does a couple of his big dives. It's not the best match for crazy Jack Evans, Jack Evans dives, even though he shows you a couple. And he just... He does the fucking break dancing. He does the spot where he gets hit out of his shoes. And then Samoa Joe beats him up with his own shoes. Like Jack Evans is just human, just entertainment condensed into a human being. And there's so much more I could say, but I have so many Steven, I, I know you were, you got on on the DMS right after you watched this match. So I, I feel guilty because I'm super excited about this match, but I, I want you to get in quick before I monopolize too much time. Like what, what do you want to say about this match? Uh, everything. Um, this was by far my favorite match of the show. Uh, I was so happy watching this. I was freaking out. Um, man. Okay. So let me just <laughs> go over some notes here. So it, it starts with Jack Evans serving Daniel Bryan with his dancing, with his break dancing. Uh, <laughs> and then, so it's, it's straight up comedy from the beginning. Daniel Bryan, or Dan- do you guys prefer what I call him? It, it doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't you matter. call him what you want to I call was, him. I was calling him. Okay. Whatever. Ted, 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 He's Ted, awesome. Ted Danson is what we call him. Ted Danson. So Ted Danson, he goes to do some break dancing, but then he call, uh, tags in Joe instead. Uh, and then they do a nice little dance sequence. And Evans is the most pissed off man in the entire world as the crowd chants he was served. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was already happy. And then he gets in there and he gets in, uh, Joe in uh, Ted Danson's face and says, you might be a veteran, but I'm better than you've ever been. <laughs> Which was <laughs> yeah, that was a great awesome. But he does, uh, but he does it like in a rap, in a rap version. He's like, you might be a veteran, but I'm better than you've ever been. Like, it's like, it's like, he's like, doing it rhythmically. And I, and I, yeah, looked, yeah, I just want to so note, good. Brian Danielson was 23 years old when he called him a veteran. <laughs> Like, I actually think I think Jack Evans is maybe like a, only a year younger. Yeah, I think he, he must have been like 22, I think, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that leads to some uh, some good little chain wrestling with Evans and Daniels or uh, Danson. Uh, and Evans tries to bridge out of it, but he, he can't. Uh, and then uh, Ted Danson does some break dancing of his own. Uh, and at this point, I'm, I'm bringing out so many explanation marks because uh, I'm already pretty happy. Um so uh, Nolte gets a good line in here. He says, Evan talks a lot. And, and right after that, and he said, and then he gets like killed and he goes, 
well, maybe that will shut him up. <laughs> uh, so Joe comes in and absolutely fucking kills him in the corner. Forearms and forearms. Aries gets tagged in. And then um, uh, he gets like right back out, as you said. <laughs> and this is around this point. Uh, Jack Evans grabs a T-shirt or a bandana or something, puts it around his head like a bandana or like a headband and calls himself the Washington Warrior <laughs> and starts doing Kung Fu. And challenge Joe to a duel, which Joe accepts, does some kung fu, and hits him with an amazing karate chop. Uh, at this point, I think I'll pause for your guys' uh, reactions to this point before I continue. Yeah. I think that's where he slaps him basically like out of his shoes, I think. And he does um, and he does sort of like a wah kind of sound also when he does it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he kicks him out of his shoes and then Joe proceeds to like later on in the match, he uses the shoes to break up pins. And the second one, the referee is like, Hey Joe, you, you can't use shoes and he blames it on a fan <laughs> which fucking rules too. <laughs> uh and and Evans gets fucking bent in half, um, kind of like mischief almost. Um, what's another? Oh, the you you mentioned the um, uh, the point where they go to the ode to the bulldogs. Yeah, and Evans like completely fucks it. Like, <laughs> but fucking it's so good. Like he shouldn't have hit that spot anywhere. He had no shoes, even though he had a springboard four fifty to the floor without shoes, and a six thirty without shoes. <laughs> Earlier on, when you walk yeah, when, when you, you walk you, on a tile floor just in socks, you might slip. Never mind when you're trying to do like a backflip off a guy's back who's being held by another guy who's all sweaty. Yeah, we should just to, just to clarify it. Um, that botch we uh, I alluded to at the start, it is a huge botch where Jack Evans. Yes, he does end up wrestling the second half of this match in just his socks because he doesn't put his shoes back on. And so later on, Aries decides to do the ode to the Bulldogs that Jack and Roddy often do, where he he has Danielson up on his shoulders and he wants Evans to jump from the top to. To Danielson and then jump off Danielson onto um, Joe and D Evans just slips on Danielson probably because he's in socks and completely eats shit to the point where like if he rotated a little less when he slipped he would have probably broken his goddamn neck like it's insane and again that's why I say that's how good this performance is it's like one of the biggest botches I've ever seen Jack Evans have and it is still one of his greatest performances. Oh, there's one other spot I want to mention because I could go on about this forever. There were so many things I loved, but uh, Ted Danson uh, does the airplane spin. I think about 650 rotations, and then he's so loopy afterwards. He does like a, a flying drop kick into the corner where there's no one yeah. there. Oh man, I love this match. Seven million stars, uh, whatever your rating system is. It is so good. Uh, and by the way, it ends with fucking Evans trying a springboard Frankensteiner that gets turned into a huge DVD. And then Joe just like gives him a killer lariat and then um, a really stiff submission uh, that that bends him in two for and finally uh, gets the win. But yeah. Uh, Matt, like five million stars, you would say about. <laughs> well, okay. So first of all, like this match, um, it's unlike any match, right? Like, and unlike any match that you could possibly see, right? It's it's not 
it's not a comedy match. It's not a serious match. It's a it's a comerious match, I guess you could sort of say. But it's <laughs> it is the Jack Evans show, and and Trevor, like I mentioned, like it's his best performance ever, and it's and it's not at all because of the crazy moves he does. You know, like, that's the thing no, about, no. about it. Like, like I, you know, I think one thing we've really rediscovered watching this era is that. Jack Evans was just such a great charismatic like performer, like entertainer. You know, he's 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 known as being like the the flippy guy, right? The guy that can be bent, that can be yeah. bent, that can be stretched, but like Jack Evans the all-around super showman is not something that he gets credit for being anymore. And it kind of makes you think like maybe he could be a lot more in AEW than he's been also because he has I mean, this I've- personality in him. As we record this, you know, we're just days away. He's he and uh you know in the hybrid two, he and Angelico are gonna wrestle the Young Bucks, which is which is sad because that match is being looked at as like a kind of a throwaway for the Young Bucks, but like Jack Evans is still great, you know, and you know, he he deserves, I think, definitely to be at a higher spot because he has that charisma to offer and he can still go. Yeah, he's a really good wrestler still. A better wrestler now than he was then in terms of like, you know, putting it all together and like, um, you know, like not as sloppy, right? But yeah, yeah. but like the charisma didn't go anywhere. He still has that. Like, and this is all about I his charisma. I saw him live like three or four years ago, and I don't think he stopped tra- trash talking the entire match. Right, which is, which is what he does in ROH at this era. And it's, yeah, it's, it really is good. And he, um, so like there like there was there was one spot I I don't remember hearing you mention it but like I think I got the pop of the match which is where um let me actually make sure that I got it um so I can explain it right but okay yes so um it's where um Daniels does the surf Danielson does the surfboard Ted Danson does the surfboard and he he gets uh, he gets Evans up and he like you know does that thing where he like bends him all the way upside down and then Joe does the basement drop kick um that got the pop of the night uh, I mean, well, not the pop of the night because I mean there was the uh, the near fall with uh, um, with a delirious, but I would say this is possibly like number two or maybe even more like than that. Like just the the way the crowd reacted. Um, you guys basically said all of like the big stuff, you know, the throwing the sneaker, um, even the slipping on the O to the Bulldogs. Like you said, it's like it made sense in the match. Like of course, like Jack yeah. Evans on this night would slip on that move. It's, it's he's he's just being ridiculous, and that would have been ridiculous. Um, he did a standing shooting star press though too. Yes, that's true, that. but it's not off of a sweaty guy's back. But yeah, yeah I know. It's just like this match is bonkers Joey, on so many levels joe does it. joe does like a stretch muffler kind of like over the over the head thing on uh jack and then he takes him and he bends his like front back also almost like keeping him like a bow like in a bow and arrow but like not in the wrestling term just like he actually looks like a, he's holding him as a bow um and that's then like that's how evans taps like that's that's like that's a crazy move um the other funny commentary thing is like mark nolte as like an old man, kept asking like, "Is that getting served? Is that getting oh, served? Yes. Like, is, is, are <laughs> you, well, can, you're gonna have to explain to me what being served is? Like, he can't, he doesn't understand that like getting served involves dancing, and like he doesn't like that that part doesn't. And it almost reminded me of like a modern day like Art Donovan at King of the Ring '94, where we kept asking <laughs> how much a guy weighed because he was just like, "Is this getting served?" How about this? Uh, are, are you, are you, and it's just like I gave should have been like no when you when you get getting served is when someone dances better than you. That's getting served. I thought it was good comedy by Nolte there. But I that. but 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 I having listened to him 
for this long, I cannot confirm that this was intentional comedy. I, I, I think it is equally possible that he was just actually not sure what getting served was. <laughs> um, but I, um, there's another part where he says um, – where he goes, you could have Jim Brown as the special referee in this match, and you won't stop Samoa Joe. And I'm thinking, like, wait, why Jim Brown? <laughs> like, uh, like this is a weird reference. Yes, it's a weird reference to on this, but um, yeah, that's Mark Nolte. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah. Oh, the the other thing was um, just not not funny, but just interesting. Um, at one point. Um, Gabe is talking about how Aries impressed Foley, so Foley got him to go to the SmackDown tapings last week. I guess maybe in the same show that John Walters got squashed. And um, he said, um, can you imagine Aries leaving ROH as champion? And I thought, I thought that was funny because that's the exact angle they did with CM Punk a few months later. But yeah, no, just, just, just a classic match in a completely, um, a completely um, unusual sense of that word. Yeah, this is this is a great match. This is one of those hidden gems, and I would say this is a match where, again, you have to ex- it, it, you have to expect it's a one man show. It's not like a serious quote unquote. Even though, like Matt said, it's not it's not comedy complete comedy either. But it, it's a one man show, and um, th- if if you, I would say this is the match to show someone if someone if you wanted in one match someone to kind of get what Jack Evans is all about and what he's capable of. I would say this is the match to show people. And like Steven said about him seeing Jack Evans perform live, I think one of the big things about Jack Evans is he's a rare wrestler where from the second he comes through the curtain to the second he goes back through it, I, I feel like he is never not performing. Like like he – even if he's on the apron, you can hear him trash talk. You, he's reacting on the apron to what is – like there's a lot of wrestlers where I feel kind of like if it's not their spot or their moment or their big time to shine, they're kind of half there, half doing something else. Jack o. Evans is always in the moment and he's always doing something. And there aren't a lot of wrestlers, I think, that are that – I don't know what the word is – like committed in every moment. And he, he's just – uh, he's he's fantastic. So um, after the match, as Danielson goes to the back, he's attacked by Homicide. The two proceed to brawl into the crowd with a garbage can being thrown around. So this is, I guess, they going to the Gabe Stip that he said earlier. They've both lost their pay for tonight because they put their hands on each other, which seems kind of unfair because like Homicide attacks Danielson. So what's he supposed to do? Like just let Homicide beat the shit out of him and to keep his money, but. That leads us finally to the main event. It is Jimmy Ray. What I like about that, uh, just as a side comment, oh, go on. is they, they mentioned that Homicide and Brian are still fighting, like, after the ring introductions or something, but they never show anything. They're just like, hey, these two are having to fight somewhere, and you, you eventually see it after the end of the show, but it's just, like, ridiculous to be like, hey, th- these two are still fighting. We're not going to show you, but they are. Trust me. <laughs> so I, 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 I didn't put. It. No, that's a really good point because I didn't put this in in my report, but I think in the Observer, I got the impression that Gabe was trying to tell Dave that like they were fighting outside the whole time, and they come on, they couldn't have been fight, like like definitely in the storyline, like the way they shoot this after the main event, they they'll go back to them fighting outside. They they try and act like they've been fighting literally the during the entire main event outside, and that's like come on that did not happen they did not wrestle outside for like 25 minutes but 
Um, that brings us to the main event, where apparently while these guys were brawling, Jimmy Rave, scored to the ring by Prince Nana, defeated AJ Styles via pinfall in 22 minutes, 7 seconds, with a schoolboy after AJ got sprayed in the face with air freshener. So, a little backstory first. This was, in fact... AJ Styles' first match back in Ring of Honor in almost a year since being pulled from by TNA during the Rob Feinstein scandal. Um, the Observer will go to them first. They wrote, TNA has also allowed AJ Styles to work the February 25th show in Dayton for Ring of Honor for a singles match with Jimmy Ray. They are billing it as a one-time appearance by AJ Styles. TNA, for nearly one year, has not allowed either Styles or Christopher Daniels to work Ring of Honor shows, at first citing the reason being the involvement of Rob Feinstein. But then when it became clear Feinstein wasn't involved and TNA continued not allowing them to work the shows, it pretty well exposed, as we had stated from the beginning, that it wasn't the real reason, but just a good cover reason. It was well known that TNA management was jealous of Ring of Honor's popularity and more, mad because Daniels and Styles who are under contract to TNA, so strongly put over Ring of Honor in, in interviews. The only explanation anyone has come up with for this offering of Styles for one day is that Styles complained so much to TNA management, who had told him he couldn't work there only because of Feinstein, that they will let him have one date. Next, we go to The Torch, who wrote... With fewer dates being offered to talent by TNA recently, it has become more and more difficult to justify their policy preventing certain former Ring of Honor talents from working Ring of Honor weekend dates. So, first thing is, um, I listened to a bit of the An Honorable Mention podcast that they did a great interview with Jimmy Rave, and I guess also we should acknowledge the elephant in the room, which is, as we record this, we are only a few days removed from Jimmy Rave revealing that he apparently had to have part of his arm amputated because of an infection, thus ending his in-ring career, which is obviously a tragic thing, and I'm just glad he's alive. But yeah, um, best wishes to Jimmy Rave, absolutely. Yeah, obviously, yes. And um, but Jimmy Rave, um, in this interview, you know, he mentioned that um, the whole point of this match, he said, when he was wrestling this match, was they want to wrestle this not like the first match in a feud, but like the end of a feud. But the way he said was kind of like he already knew AJ was coming back in a few months. So it's funny where all the reporting for this match was like, oh, this is they're billing this as AJ's one match, and maybe he's only getting one match in Ring of Honor. But I think clearly with the finish and the way they worked it, like they knew this was this they knew AJ was coming back and this was going to be the start of a longer program. But uh Steven, as the guest, you get to go first on the main event. What did you think about this as a way to cap off the show? Oh boy. Thank you. Um so uh the sexism of the entrance, like that that just fucking sucks. Um but um so it starts off though with, uh, uh, oh yeah, and then it starts off with Gabe making this comment about how much Jimmy Rave has been running his mouth about AJ Styles. Like, was that on any of the DVDs at all? Not really. All he was doing basically was doing the the Styles Clash. He was doing that, so that was yeah. his way. It That's wasn't not really pro- his mouth. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't promos, but it was more just mocking him by, "Hey, I've I've invented this. I'm doing it now." You know. Yeah, the implication was almost that Rave was doing it like backstage, which is. Uh... Not, not. I mean, that's they. If they're gonna play that he's running his mouth, they should do it on camera, which they did not do. And really, Nana didn't really cut a lot of promos on AJ Styles either. You know, he mentioned him a little bit, but it yeah. was much more just Rave doing the move. That was pretty much it. Yeah. So I thought. I, I think sometimes 
Gabe on commentary like knows what the story is and what he's going for, and then he gets to a moment and he's like, "Well, let's just kind of like pretend that there's more to the story than there is," and then tries to get it over, even if it's not really there, uh, which is an interesting move. But uh, uh, well, I think there's regardless. also I think I think it's also that they maybe were afraid to push AJ coming too much because they didn't know if he would. And then when he yeah. did, they sort of had to backfill all that in on via DVD. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can see that. Um, so I, I thought Rave was a really good um, kind of a little bit of an old school heel here um, working this match while AJ was – he was aggressive, um, but I don't know if it was – he was working as hate-filled as um, – I guess the story wants you to think, um, but I'm not a big fan of AJ, so maybe that was just my uh, own personal bias. Uh, but there was a lot of good spots here. AJ, say what you want about him. Um, he always hits everything um, very technically well, um, and, and he hits a, a, like a really good Pescada, uh, which Rave catches him into a gut buster. So like the gut buster is the move of the fucking show here. Yeah. It's, it's all over. This yeah, show. they get they, they, uh, they, they the exact same thing too, where it's like they, they, it turns the match around, where a guy does a dive and la- and lands into a gut buster, and suddenly he's vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was interesting. Uh, and, and then they went for a cool little spot where uh, Rave tried to rip AJ into the guardrail and AJ just kind of jumps it and then Rave goes for a springboard off of it but he gets caught into a suplex uh, and then they brawl on the outside into the bleachers um, uh, yeah Rave gets control there and then kind of runs away the moment he gets control so uh, I like that aspect of the story uh, but it, it wasn't really played up well because by the time Rave got to the ring AJ was already on top of him so he didn't run far enough or quick enough I guess Um uh, but Rave hits, uh, yeah, AJ hits this really stiff drop kick at one point that uh, Jimmy Rave really sells well uh, w- with his nose uh, there. I really like that. Um, Prince Nana was uh, constantly trash talking, and Jimmy Rave uh, at this point was doing a really good uh, beatdown segment. Uh, he has his um, his cross face on. Um, and he's getting really stiff in this, and he's looking really confident as a heel. Um, let's see, Prisnata distracts AJ while he, he, he's going for the, the Rave Clash, and then Rave grabs the air fresher uh, to the eyes, rolls him up, and pulls the tights, and uh, wins. So I, I thought it was a good match, but um, there's some other matches that might have overshadowed it a little bit, uh, but definitely good booking to try to build a new star up here, especially since that new star is uh, pushed into a feud with, uh, with your, with CM Punk. So yeah, um, a lot to build him up for that. So overall the booking's really good and the, the match was pretty good as well. Yeah, that's a great point. This was like the double shot weekend because the next night is his first match with CM Punk and he goes over him too. So this was, you know, Gay was one of those guys when, when a guy was ready to get pushed, you know, he would do start it off huge. So like getting to be AJ Styles and CM Punk and back to back nights, like this was the weekend that Jimmy Rave got like shot to the moon. Um, Matt, what did you think about it as a match though? Yeah, and it's funny to think about that, by the way, that he got shot to the moon this weekend after losing to Jay Lethal last week um, as like the stepping stone to get to John Walters. It's kind of – And I, 
Sorry. I do feel like, again, going, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, going to what I kind of said a while earlier in the podcast, I think with the opener, like, that is something Gay kind of does, where he kind of doles out the big wins and the losses, like, he kind of goes, like, you can almost see, like, if you watch the Ring of Honor Book of Secrets, you can tell, like, he, a lot of his thinking is, like, I'm giving this guy a win here so he can lose the show before, you know, or he, I just gave this guy two wins so now he can take a loss and be okay. You can kind of see him maybe thinking, like, I know Rave is going to go over, have this huge weekend, so he can lose clean to Jay Lethal. Even if it seems a little inconsistent, you can kind of see he's almost like trading things, you know. Yeah, no, it makes sense, um, I guess, in the way Gabe books. Yeah, yeah, parody I'm not going to say it's always great, but you can definitely see his, his philosophy is he's trying to keep all these different balls in the air. He's trying to say, well, you know, since I'm giving him such a few, two huge wins – he can take a loss over here, which whether I don't always agree with that, but I think that is definitely part of his philosophy. Yeah, no, and it, it, it has its pluses and minuses, um, as we know. Um, but yeah, uh, obviously, um, Stephen mentioned the uh, misogyny of the opening uh, entrance of Rave, which, you know, this is, I think this is the only time or maybe the only weekend where this particular woman appears as a footstool. I don't know who it was. Do you know who this who this was here? No, yeah, I, I, I don't know who it was either. But the lighting was so bad. You could, like when they came out, I thought it was Jade Chung. Before uh, it got closer, you realize it was a white woman. Yeah. Um, but you know what really bothered me about this is like, if it was something that was getting heel heat, you'd at least maybe come right. up with an excuse for it. But right. it fucking gets a pop from the crowd. Right. That's well, the thing. Well, fuck this shit. That's the well, thing. Also- but that's the thing about all the stuff they do with the women here, where it's like where they they beat up a woman and their baby faces or their heels. It doesn't matter. It's like the crowd's favorite thing is when they're mean to a woman. <laughs> well, I would just say. Like so, yeah. This is the second time ever Jimmy Rave did the uh, woman as footstool footstool gimmick, but I'm sure one of our listeners will tell us who this woman was. Uh, apologies to us for not recognizing her. If if it was someone we should have recognized. But the thing I would mention is this time, not only does you know she have to get down on her hands on knees as a footstool, but she um takes off her jacket to show she's wearing only a bra. Like it's like they were decide like. We can't just have a footsteel spot. We have to also have like a titillation spot too. Like, like I don't know why you need to take off your jacket for someone to step on your back, but maybe she thought Jimmy Rave's boots were dirty. But um, I mean, honestly, that's a yeah, good reason. That's a good reason. If I'm I, I, I guess so. But then I don't know. But then you have a dirty like, back. Again, yeah, exactly. Anyway, man. I, um, um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see when they finally do the Jade Chung stuff. If it's actually getting heel heat, because clearly they it is meant to, and I'm, I'll be curious to see that. Um, but and even the way Nana introduced her, sorry, he just he, he even said, "Get back out there like the other whore I purchased." Like, yeah, yeah, language. intense bimbo and whore on the same show. This is yeah, this is this is quite the show for Steven to be on, considering how misogynistic a lot of it is. <laughs> um, but hey, this is the ROH we've been watching for the past, I guess, almost. I guess three and a half, almost four years now that we've been doing this show. So, um, yeah, this is it. Uh, Shimmer, I imagine. Everyone should watch Shimmer. Yeah, I was going to yeah, imagine. Shimmer, it, I imagine, is, a, is, a, is refreshing. Um, but It is so much refreshing, yes. Is, yeah. um, but, um, you know, it's interesting. Gabe still called it NWA TNA here. I thought they had dropped the NWA by now. When did they finally drop the NWA from TNA's name? Because I figured by February 05 they had, but I guess not. I guess maybe it's later in that year. Um, I'm not sure, but 
Okay. Yeah, I, I would just say that, like, you know, Matt, he's still calling Nigel McGuinness's submission move that submission move. That arm <laughs> submission. That arm it's, submission it's gonna, is what it's called. That <laughs> arm submission. It's going to take a long time. For T-A- things to go through. TAS for short. Um, but yeah, no, the, I thought the match was, you know, another good match. Um, I there were th- there were things that I didn't love about it. Like, so, you know, it started off pretty hot. Like, you know, they went into the crowd pretty early, and you know, fighting in chairs and on the bleachers and all this stuff. And um, you know, AJ does a belly to belly onto rave onto a bunch of bleachers. Uh, I mean, onto a bunch of chairs. And I thought that was. Um, and I thought that was cool, but and then they got back in the ring and they just had like a pretty methodical middle of the match, and I kind of wondered like would this match have been better if they did the slow part early, then they went into the crowd, then they cut back and did the, the big near falls and stuff like that. Um, I feel like that might have been better. I don't know. I feel like there was like an unnecessary lull in the middle of this match, but. But you are right about the story of the match like that. You know, like AJ was clearly being very aggressive here. You know, he, he came he – like at one point, like he comes back with like a flurry of punches and kicks. He actually – one of the coolest spots that AJ does, he, he does like this wacky like handspring into a Pele kick. I don't remember seeing AJ do that before, but I thought it was a really cool spot. Um, I, you know, I like the – AJ went for the Styles class. Ray reversed it into a roll-up. Then they go into a roll-up sequence, which I thought, and then Rave hits the running knee. I thought that was a really cool near fall. Um, I, it's funny. I was, I was noticing throughout the match, um, Nolte really was putting Ray's performance in the match over really hard. So G- huge. Yeah. Gabe was a little bit more muted in terms of how he was putting no- Rave over. And then Rave eventually won by um, by cheating, you know, by by spraying him with the eye, yeah. with, the, with, the, with the air freshener. It's just like... I wonder if this is what Gabe was going for with the, with Nolte's assessment of the performance because Gabe was not echoing it, and I thought that was interesting. But I, I thought the match was pretty good. I, I thought it, it had a pretty good story of, of like Rave holding his own against his mentor by then, but then winning by cheating. Um, the middle of the match really took it down a good deal for me, and I, and I still wonder if like if they'd flipped the middle in the beginning if that would have made a difference. But anyway, it was still pretty good. Uh, so Matt, I really agree with you again on this match. I, this is another like I would say a lot of matches on this show were like three and a half stars, but this match, I would say, uh, m- what I thought about watching this is I thought in the first few like it's almost like the opposite of the Shelley um, Punk match where you were saying the first few minutes of this you were like oh this I don't think this is going to be that good and then by then you were like this is really good. I felt like this match at the start. I thought like, oh, this is going to be a great goddamn match. This is going to be like the match of the night. And then by the end, I was like, that was pretty good. You know, like like it, it kind of doesn't live up to the hot opening. I, I, you know, it's got the big hot opening where AJ two his credit wrestles this whole match with like a scowl on his face, like he's pissed off. He's he's really hitting rave hard and just hauling off with some kicks to the body. They do the crowd brawling, and then like you said. The, when the match comes back and and Rave takes control, it really does slow down, and um, that's by design apparently. Because listening again to the honorable mention interview with Jimmy Rave, Jimmy said he made a when he was talking about this match said I made a he made a conscious effort when he goes he, heel to take out basically like a lot of the flashy cool things he could do. He or I think he said something to the effect of like the only move I do that I should that you should pop for when I'm a heel is the finish. And I, I, I don't think he goes that far as he says because, like, he does stuff like the gonorrhea, which are is a cool move to see. And the knee. But, 
but yeah, but he clearly, I think, is a guy who is trying. His philosophy of wrestling, I think, is that the heel shouldn't be exciting, which you know is sometimes play works and sometimes doesn't. I, I feel you know, and, and sometimes in a match like this, I do feel like it kind of shifts the match into a more boring part of the match, but. Then it picks up again with the end with all the cool spots you talked about. And I agree. The handspring into the Pele kick was really cool. Um, the, the move I thought, though, was the coolest match of the move of the night, maybe, other than maybe the uh, the Jimmy Jacobs-Rana reversal of the top rope powerbomb, was AJ does the basement drop kick through the ropes, and he hits um, Rave in the face with it. And I thought... Holy crap, that has to be the hardest hitting, like, basement dropkick I've ever seen. So I went back and I framed by framed it. He, like, smacks fucking Rave right in the face with his feet, going super fast. Like, he, he makes contact. It is it, it is a shoot basement dropkick. It, it, I don't know how he didn't get, like, knocked loopy from that. There's also a spot I liked where... um. Early on, Ray, Styles has Raven an arm ringer, and Raven kind of takes his free arm and uses it to push his his arm ringed arm at um, AJ to try and punch him with it, which I thought was neat. And then, of course, as always, this was one of the better crowds Ring of Honor ever had in terms of reactions. But in terms of being good people, um, maybe not, because there's a moment early on where AJ screams at Rave to wrestle, and then he calls him the F word for gay people, the slur, and that gets a big pop. Oh, that, and, I, mi- I missed that. I even I know AJ does, is one to do that, and I and I didn't yeah, even pick up he, on it. Yeah, the guy who famously would not, when he bought a ticket to the movie Jackass, said one for Jack A, would not. Um, w- w- is very open with saying that word. Um. But yeah, well, you know what? After after this show, my favorite is Jack E. <laughs> I like the. Oh, comedian. by the way, I looked it up. Uh, TNA left the NWA on June 9th of two thousand four. So it was just TNA at this point. So he, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I, I figured for I like, thought that was wrong for eight months. Yeah. <laughs> so. Going to the little note afterwards in the Observer, uh, Dave writes, since AJ Styles has no return dates with the group, he put over Jimmy Rave in the main event. Rave looked green, but the place went nuts for Styles. It seemed after intermission, they were mainly waiting for him. I don't think Jimmy Rave looked green. Like, I thought in some, other than the middle, he looked good. Like, in terms of mechanics and stuff, if anything, the guy who botched something in this match was late in the match. AJ does his usual, like, like his moonsault into the, uh, the reverse DDT, but he doesn't really hit the DDT, so it just has to be a moonsault. Like, I don't know if Rave looked – I don't know if green would be the word I would use to describe Jimmy Rave in this match. Now, sometimes when people I say – I also love – sorry. No, go ahead. Um, I, I just also love that no one cared about Joe, Brian Danielson, Jack Evans, Austin yeah. Ray, CM Punk, or Alex Shelley, or the women. No one cared. They only wanted to see AJ, and they made no sound until AJ came out. I mean, they were chanting for AJ throughout the night, but that's also because the embassy kept coming out all night, so I think they kept expecting AJ yeah. to come out there, you know. Some of these reporters that send in Dave comments are are just out to lunch sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It, it's really weird sometimes when I see stuff like that, because it's, like, it's so obviously not true. And the thing is, like, Dave talks to Gabe, and like he clearly does, and like doesn't Gabe set him straight on that stuff? Because I think Gabe would pretty clearly be able to tell him, like, no, like people were into our wrestlers. Like, 
I mean, there is something to be said about like, I remember I've only ever sent, and it was probably like 15 years ago now, like a live report from a house show to Dave. And I remember like he printed like, you know, what I said as, as like the gospel. And I was telling the truth, but I was like, you then realize like the power of like, on on shows like this, you know, on, I'm sure on a on a major televised show, obviously not, but like a lot of times reporters, you know, they will just take what you said and just say that's what happened. Where you know, I could have lied on that night, you know, I could have or completely just mis- misread a situation or been in a in a weird part of the crowd where I didn't see or hear something. But yeah, that, I've done that. T- sure- I've done that too, or I've misreported things just because that's what it seemed to me, and then I realized I was wrong. Yeah. So I, I, well, I guess what I'm saying is it wouldn't surprise you if it just took literally one live report to say Jimmy Rave looked green and was like, well, Jimmy Rave looked green, like just one person maybe who felt that way, where, again, you know, I don't think he looked green. But after the match, Nana, Fast Eddie, and the woman who we couldn't identify from that was the footstool celebrate with Rave as Gabe screams that AJ's Ring of Honor career can't end like this. So at this point when Gabe was screaming that, like if you weren't sure before that they had already that they had probably already lined up like future dates with AJ and he would come back four months later, like the way that they're selling this so hard right now, I mean they had to have known. Um Nana attacks attacks AJ and AJ quickly fights back, but the embassy overcome him with the numbers game they beat him down until cm punk comes out to fight the embassy off uh punk ends up brawling with rave on the outside as styles hits the styles clash on fast eddie in the ring of course to send the fans home happy and then the camera immediately cuts to gabe in the crowd motioning for the cameras to follow him gabe on commentary says that's one of the office lackeys (laughs) and then (laughs) the cameraman runs out of the front door out of the building and we see brian danielson and homicide or ted danson and homicide brawling in the parking lot in front of the fans gabe says these two have sacrificed their pay and have been brawling all during the last match homicide then suplexes danielson onto the hood of a car danielson then back body drops homicide onto the pavement as the feed quote cuts off mid gabe sentence it goes to like a, a like just one of those old screens back when channels went off the air for the night and so the, the color palette thing. yeah the color palette exactly and so that's the end of this segment before we go to the next one what'd you guys think i mean it was a pretty good wild brawl yeah i mean it was fine it was a good brawl like they uh yeah. I, I hope i hope whoever's car that was approved getting people but maybe you know what if they're a wrestling fan they like it no even if they didn't approve it so yeah, it was it was just Gabe on commentary. Like first, the selling of uh, AJ's career ending in Ring of Honor this way was just way too much, and then him pretending they've been brawling for thirty minutes uh, in the parking lot, and we're just going to the camera shots now. Uh, that part was like the presentation was bad, but like also the, the losing, also losing, was good. also losing their feed. Right, that's corny. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, it was all corny, and surprisingly, he didn't say it was a riot, though. Yeah, I also I also like it because like no one hit the cameraman, so I guess the the logic is like that the camera like the feed went out because it was five feet outside of the building, <laughs> like the, like they lost signal. It was that week, apparently. I, I don't know, but um. We uh, then go for the final segment of the show. We immediately go from that uh, color palette to Colt Cabana backstage for good times, great memories. Uh, Colt praises his own performance in his match tonight, and his guest is the man he had that he had that performance against, Nigel McGuinness. And uh, Colt espouses the bodybuilding benefits of eating chicken breasts cooked on the George Foreman grill for some reason. Uh, 
Colt and Nigel have some friendly, competitive banter about their match. Colt says he's like Bobby Fischer, and Nigel is like that other guy, he said. Um, Nigel says Colt won this time, but either man could have won, and the next time, Nigel will win. Colt says he'll not only be happy to wrestle Nigel anywhere at any time, he'll be his manager, his valet, his ring announcer. He'd even like to tag with him. Uh, Colt thinks he has a new friendship, and the two shake hands. Colt says they're like, yeah? He... Nigel and Colt went back and forth about how Nigel tried that arm thing and Nig- and then Colt was like, and then I countered that arm thing. And then Nigel said, I went for that arm thing again, clearly <laughs> making fun of Gabe. That arm submission is maybe that's just the name of the move. I, maybe it's that arm submission. I, got, I gotta um, rewatch that because I I didn't even pick up on that. That's my favorite thing to make fun of Gabe about. So I know that's why when you were talking about it earlier, I'm like I'm waiting for the payoff. Um, and <laughs> here it was. Yeah, I I, I I was like, oh, they just talked about how they reversed each other, but now I got to see that they're talking about that arm thing. I uh, <laughs> that's what I thought. Maybe I uh, I thought he said that other thing, but maybe I'm wrong. I let me let me, I'll go back and watch it. But okay, he also he, stuff up. Cabana <laughs> then goes, it's a game of human chess. I'm Bobby Fisher. You're that other guy. I think he was Hispanic. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Cabana's pretty funny. Also, by the way, if you want to hear more Colt Cabana um, dietary tips, listen to his episode of Doughboys because he talks oh, about yeah. how he eats I haven't heard that, that yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, Colt says that he and Nigel are like the new bloke and meathead. Uh, Nigel says they might go places. We then get an awkward camera cut to Colt in a completely different camera angle, hyping up his match the next night with Bobby Heenan managing. So we get a nice little you know segment here to show that Nigel and Colt are going to be friends and even tag together in the future. And that's how we end the show with a little business like that. So that was the third anniversary show. I feel like this show is the highest, probably the most we've mocked Gabe in a long time, which is funny because this is actually, I thought, a very good show. Um, yeah, he's, well, he's I, besides, besides, besides like Gabe. So, uh, so fault, I, I do not really dislike Gabe. Um, there, you know, his everyone like he has pluses and minuses. But I will say, Gabe's main job at this point in ROH was he was the Booker, and I thought he did a good job at that on this show overall. Yeah, yeah Stephen, what do you think about the show? I mean, you were the guy that was saying, you know, that a lot of times these Ring of Honor shows can be exhausting watches to you. And, and you know, that's why we're the professionals, you know, because we, we can have well, it. I was but, trying to follow with you guys, but I just couldn't do it. It was too much. Don't try, uh, don't try, don't try this at home, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try this at home. Um, watch Shimmer instead. It's much easier to watch. But this one was um, it, it was really well spaced out with a lot of variety that wasn't too long and it wasn't exhausting. Um, I, I really enjoyed the show. Um, that tag match was out of this world fun that I absolutely loved. And uh, there was a lot of other good matches too. Um, yeah, this one was a, a big A plus in my book. I thought this was a very good show. I felt like this was almost like a B show done right. Cause a lot of times ring of honor would with all these double shots would have, you know, the lesser of important show on the first night. But I felt like you still had some significant happenings on the show. You know, AJ's one match for the next few months, his first match in almost a year they used on this show. And like Steven said, a lot of good variety you had a nice mix of comedy and crazy high spots and good wrestling and, and, it was just a good all-around show, and it just was a easy and, – and again, I think one of the better crowds from a Ring of Honor standpoint in terms of just reacting and being open to whatever they were seeing and uh, other than 
good social values, apparently, with some of their what they cheered for. But um, yeah, this is just a, this is a idea of a show where you know it doesn't feel like the biggest show Ring of Honor is putting on, but it also doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a throwaway. Even though in some ways you could argue that again, it's the first half of a double shot, but really very good show. I felt Matt. Yeah, this is the sort of show that like Ring of Honor in this era should like have aspired to. You know, just like solid across the board, fun stuff, variety, and like yeah, some not the biggest matches certainly. Like certainly not the matches that like you know. I mean, Ray versus AJ was a match they built to for a while in some sense, but the matches on this show were not the matches that you know they've been they were building to by and large. No epic main event style matches, but you know the debut of James Gibson that was a significant thing. Um, you know, so the Fast Eddie's heel turn, we all remember that. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, um, the debut of Puma, no, um, but, uh, no, but just, it was just fun and solid. And, you know, the, uh, that match, the, the tag match and the, the, the tag main event was so, um, memorable and fun. And it just, it just, you know, like, other than, like you said, the, the antisocial values, there were good vibes all around in terms of, like, the direction and the booking and the enjoyment of the wrestling. So I think this is like man. If every show is like this, this this is a, a fun, fun, fun promotion. So very good and not bloated. You could definitely you can't say this yeah. show. You can't say this show was bloated or too long. It wasn't. It was just it was just right. So a very good, very good show. Um, Stephen, this is normally where we start to plug our stuff. So uh, we, obviously you got Shimmer Herstory, which we have one episode up on our feed. It's normally on the Pro Wrestling Only podcast feed. A bunch of episodes for people to catch up on. Every two weeks. Is there, anything, is there anything else you'd like to plug? Any of your older stuff uh, or anything else that you um, – your social media? Anything you'd like to – Trans rights? We should all be for trans rights. Um, that's a good one. Black Lives Matter. Um, there's a lot of good social issues out there that uh, people should be uh, be supporting, uh, especially now um, with so much uh, stuff going on, and so and it's very hard for people. Uh, people are locked away and can't see their family or friends, and it, it's a hard time. Uh, so anything you can do to to help out people during these times or get help yourself, call someone, um, anything you can, I don't know what help you can get in the States. Um, I, I think most of your listeners are in the States, but if you can get any help, uh, please do it. Uh, if you need it, cause it, it's rough times, but this was a good, enjoyable show that might, uh, eat up a couple hours in your, your life to make, put a smile on your face. I, well, uh, that I, well, was the most yeah. selfless plug we've ever had. Here, here, here is what I will say to all of that. So if you want to talk about our less important buffoonery, as always, through the years at gmail.com, T-H-R-O-H is how you spell through, at Trevor Dame on Twitter, at Mayor MGF on Twitter. Um, we have a, a thread on the ProWrestlingOnly.com plugs forum. And, uh, yeah, next time on the show, we will be covering the final of the three Ring of Honor third anniversary celebration shows, part three in Chicago. We have Austin Aries versus Samoa Joe 2. We have the kickoff of the CM Punk Jimmy Ray feud. We have Bobby Heenan's second appearance in Ring of Honor. So all in grand old Chicago. We should have a lot to talk about on that show, I am sure. So until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.